Hello everybody and welcome to the interseason between season 11, which just wrapped up with Glass, and the upcoming season 12, aka Requalizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, is Matthew fucking Stockton. So, you think you've sequelized in 14 days what they couldn't in two years. <laughs> We've been going for five years now, Matthew. Yeah, but I meant like... Six the... years in 2023? That's the studios. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. And the answer is always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and joining Matthew and I, it's Timothy Goddamn Matum. Well, this should read, A million years into the sky is Matt, sequel God, Sealed and buried for all time. It's not door to heaven. His DVD case. <laughs> Brilliant. That, that would explain a lot. Let's put it that way. True. If you had hieroglyphs, they would just be that spreadsheet you have of your Blu-ray and DVD <laughs> collection in just hieroglyph whizzing form. Whizzing around a circle. Yeah. That's how I pick what I'm going to watch. <laughs> I like that. That's actually quite a cool idea, like you did with your TikToks, where you just assign a random number and then just spin the wheel. Spin a dial, yeah. Of, Roll a dice of Stargateness. Mm. Align the chevrons, Matthew. Click, click, pick your Blu-rays. Oh, it's Copland. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you rolled the dice and you lost there, sir. With Copland, everyone did. Fuck it out. Anyway, for this, of course, we're kicking off the interseason with. A sequel we'd like to see, because that is kind of tradition here on the interseason episodes. And we're going back to the 90s, specifically 1994, to talk about that there Stargate. Mm. And the fact that the film, to very be clear here, the film never got a sequel properly. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> There's like 15 seasons of TV and stuff that is. Maybe sort of a sequel, but not really, but sometimes canon, but not really canon. And then some of them aren't even canon with each other at times. Yeah. They're, they're canon until oh. hmm. someone decides, hey, we want to do a Stargate sequel slash soft reboot. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then someone will go, no, it's fine. Ignore all of those. <laughs> you don't need to keep up with that. Don't worry about it. Yes. So, yes, we will be diving in, talking about Stargate what we liked about it, what we don't like about it, and then in the second half, coming up with a mini-pitch from each of us, so you get three mini-pitches of how we would sequelize Stargate and how we're going to approach that. And there's been a lot of talk about, as you mentioned there, Tim, reboots and potential sequels happening to the film rather than following in with the Stargate Atlantis, Stargate SG-1, or Stargate Universe, all that stuff that's happening in the TV. There have been plans. The original plan apparently was to do a trilogy of films. Yeah. So they might try and get Kurt Russell and James Spader and the crew back together again. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Before we get to talking about Stargate, or even our potential sequels to Stargate, let's take align the chevrons, if you will, and journey through the portal that is patreon.com slash sequelizers, where you can get exclusive bonus interseason episodes. If this is your first episode of Sequelizers, first of all, hello, welcome. Hey, put your face in it. You know, like a Stargate. (laughs) (laughs) Just push your face gently into our podcast. Right in the middle of the hole. 
and then and then mm. just get sucked through. Oh. Get sucked off. Yeah. Get sucked off the planet. Christ, we have brought an energy to this episode. It's the interseason. Anything it? goes. Twenty twenty three, baby. <laughs> oh god. Any films are goal or whatever that phrase is. <laughs> like I said, you get bonus entire interseason episodes. You get three of those throughout the interseason, and we've said it before, but just to make it clear. They're not like, oh, a little half an hour extra spattering. Like we do with the main season, we do the little extras of kind of like outtakes and stuff. A little extra is about an hour long. <laughs> yeah. These are full in-season episodes where we talk about a genuinely interesting topic that we think would justify a full in-season episode. It just happens to be Patreon exclusive, basically. So you'll get three bonus episodes throughout the in-season. You'll also get access to the episodes three days early. You get it on the Friday before it comes out on the Tuesday. You also get access to it without adverts. We'll be doing an advert in about the middle of the show. And if you're listening on Patreon, you won't hear that. You lucky people. (laughs) You don't need to. You paid for it. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, you also get exclusive merch, discounts on merch, and a variety of other fun things, including potentially getting your avatar drawn by the one and only John Scarrett, who does our wonderful episode artwork and t-shirts and merch designs and all that kind of stuff we will be debuting new colors and new designs for requalizers coming in season 12 as well the discussions have started very exciting with john and we went yellow for prequelizers we're usually red for sequelizers we're working on something else for requalizers gonna be something a little bit different a bit a bit of mauve definitely not mauve and of course if you go to the 30 pound tier you can become an executive producer and get a shout-out like these fine folks have done. Marcus Lindstrom. Two figures on either side, praying beside a pyramid with the sun directly above it. Canis Rufus. That was in front of us the whole time. And... Janet West. David Selinger. Has identified the seventh symbol. If you've listened to the show before, you're thinking, huh, that list of executive producers is much smaller than usual. It is. Because we also have a bunch of new VIPs, which is the next tier up, the top tier, and they will actually be picking episodes during the interseason. And coming up in Requalizers, we will have, that's right, six picks for people to discuss and basically force us to fix remakes mm. in the future, in the coming season. So, as a bridge, this season is of the same length as it's always been. In the future, that will expand. Mm. But that also means that this season is majority patron, <laughs> um, as in patron picked. So uh, they're all good. They're all good choices. We're exciting about it. Mm, but it's yeah. also a very, you know, out of our hands in We're season. not to blame anymore. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the VIPs for this week are Josh Miles. Door, door to heaven is... Stargate. Jonathan Firth Clark. He's inviting us to go with him. How can you be so sure? Because he's inviting us to go with him. And a bunch of new VIPs who you may recognize from previous EP announcements. They are Philip Morgan. So you think you've solved in 14 days what they couldn't solve in two years? Hyper Dude Man. Your job here is to realign the Stargate. Can you do that or not? 
Stuart Main. Why are you here? Why did they bring you on this project? I'm here in case you succeed. And James McDowell. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Welcome, new VIPs. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate the fact that you guys want to do that <laughs> and give us that amount of money and really help us, like we, Matt was saying, expand the show. We're going to be adding new episodes and building out things. And I know I've said this a lot of times. I'm working on producing the new live streams. We're lining up some guests, getting some plans in the way, doing some designs. I'm doing some writing for it. It's going to be exciting. So when you're hearing this, which is like end of 2022, beginning of 2023, we record these a little bit in advance. Just as a, we try to. We try to as much as we can. I mean, when you're listening to this, it's been Christmas. Yeah. Yay. Happy we New did, Year. We get some time off. Christmas, etc. Yeah. We had a couple of weeks off, but We're there back. ain't no rest for the sequelizers. Quite fucking literally. <laughs> <laughs> and money don't grow on trees. But every penny that goes into the Patreon from any level, from right at the bottom tier to the top tier, it makes it free for everyone else. Exactly. So yeah. if you can yeah. afford to pay for someone else to hear this for free and keep the show as, because obviously, in the way that it is every single week for I mean, obviously we you know we say having have had a break um for the past <laughs> you know through throughout the course of the pandemic yes yeah we, we're incredibly grateful and it means there's unsung tons of people who are also very grateful thank you patrons of all levels for supporting us like matt said you make the show free for everyone else you make this show possible you make all the new equipment all the new plans all the cool new merch all that kind of stuff possible so thank you ever so much for your support. And and if you can't afford to be a patron, thank you also just for listening. Yeah, because absolutely. The show equally would not be the same without you. Very so, much so. Yeah. It's a new year. Well, it's not a new year yet. Yeah. It's about to be a new year. If you're listening to this on the public feed and not a patron, as Tim was saying. Yeah, it is. Happy New Year! Happy it's twenty twenty three. It's twenty twenty three. I'm sure it'll be everything will be fine, right, guys? I love that we're we're recording this, thinking, "Hey, on, let me just do the maths." Thinking, <laughs> there's three days where that sentence is relevant, <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the years you listen to this eternally, pretty, it's pretty like Nadama. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's true. New year. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a new year, and you know, we've we've Survived. the past the past three years, this show has like grown and developed hmm. so much. Yeah. Um, and it's it's all down to the people who listen to it, um, and the people who are can support us in whatever fashion that means. So we really do appreciate it. Definitely. So should we get into some stargating across the universe? Yes. <laughs> Would you like me to go first? Please do, Matthew. Kick off your history with the Star Star Trek, <clears throat> Star Wars. Star Trek no, the no, no, Stargate franchise. A fucking. Love Stargate. <laughs> of course you do. Look at you. <laughs> I genuinely do. Um, for a, a, a myriad of reasons. If you had to rank the the aforementioned three, the the wars, the trek, and the gate, what what order would you rank them in, Matthew? Uh, frustratingly, trek wars gate. Okay. Yeah, I, I, really annoyingly because yeah. there's I, more to gauge on. I things. think gate is always gonna unless you're a, like gonna a, lose. a nutter. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna be wrong, I'm afraid. Jack said that, not me. Because <laughs> Tim rates it higher. And here they come. Um, but oh yeah, no, I I I adore Stargate. Um, there are multiple reasons why, multiple factors how that that I've come to that sort of fan love because ultimately I was ten years old when the film came out. And it really struck a chord. Um, it was 
uh, just from the aesthetic of design of things, there's so much Art Deco sort of inspiration because of the fact that a lot of things, very strange tangent for a second, but Aladdin, for example, the Ooh. Disney Aladdin, has, you'd think, oh, we'd be like a very, you know, Middle East sounding Arabian Peninsula sort of soundtrack. No, it's swing. It's like, why is it swing? Because the 30-year cycle means you've got 60s nostalgia and yeah. 30s nostalgia. It's why, you know, Batman and the, the mm. fucking Shadow and the Phantom came through. Because yep. like, that's what was popular and coming back. So um, the aesthetic of this whole thing really sort of spoke to me. The intrigue, I don't obviously for a second fucking think that anybody other than humans built the pyramids. Mm. But it's fun to entertain the notion of like, oh, wow, a, um, a way to travel through space. And mm. it's just literally wormholes. Yeah. I'm like, this is fascinating. Um, this is, I think, I think around the same time, if maybe a couple of years before um, DS9 came out, but mm -hmm. the, the wormhole is, yeah. theory mm -hmm. stuff was very much, like, you know, little little kid Matt was like, "This sounds mm -hmm. fantastic," and, and how cool that is. Instantly makes it different from your gates and your treks and and those kind of things. Absolutely, it, it feels like it's new territory because it's mm. it's it's a it's a doorway. Yeah, and it's just it's connecting a, two points. It's a different mode of transportation, and it has that historical basis rather than being something that's it's looking to the past rather than looking to the future. Very much so. Yeah, historical science fiction is always really interesting because mm. it's so underutilized. It's always the science fiction is the future or the present or the near future rather than you could do it in the past. Uh, Prey being a fantastic example of that. It's like, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> really interesting exploration of it. So, and a bad example being something like, oh, I don't know, Alien versus Predator that we uh, talked about in the show before. So, effectively, I saw this thing and really And the thing is, the film itself is quite. It's quite small in scope, all things considered. Mm. In terms of what it actually does, it's like, yeah, okay, okay, bunker. Okay, okay, we're here for quite some time. Okay, desert, yeah. Pyramid. Oh, film's over. Um, but it's, it's one of those sort of mid-tier budget films. It was a very, quite a high budget at the time. Uh, I think it was about $50 million or something mm. like that. But it was but also, it was like Emmerich's first film pretty much yeah yeah, yeah. and emmerich being as we now know a big blockbuster kind of guy yeah and it, it's something there's something very difficult to replicate with certain directors apparently even with themselves in later life as we'll <laughs> get back to later but like michael bay for example as much as people try to emulate him it's very difficult to be bay without being bay and then in, later in his career he even struggles to figure out what that is but Emmerich has a way of framing things, a way of like going like, we're going to build this set in the middle of nowhere. We're going to shoot this in the desert in Utah in a, in, a, in a way that people are going to fucking die from the heat because, you know, he's just a random German director. Like, oh, this will be fine. It's like, this is a terrible idea. Um, huge sets, uh, ridiculously cool special effects that are really quite subtle in what they're doing. Yeah, there's a real amazing blend of miniature, miniatures prosthetics, actual real armor and weapons and all that kind of stuff and then some CGI that is blended in really well, like the yeah. actual effect of the Stargate itself with all the, the the big swoosh and then the suction of the water and all that kind of stuff that's real water. It's practical effects. It's actual practical water that they used and then they put the CGI like shimmer thing mm -hmm. behind that but the actual like swoosh it, it comes, is a real thing. It comes from such a fascinating period of CGI could do small things. It yes. could do certain things. It can enhance what the industry was already doing. Yes. Um, but there was a lot it couldn't do, and so you were using it to augment 
practical effects, miniatures slash bigotures, you know, all all those kind of things. And I think it's aged incredibly well, Stargate, because it has that blend of stuff. Um, There is, you know, there's certain wonky moments, but I still think things like those mask transformations, the helmets coming off and stuff. Love them. Still look amazing because there's so much using that it's like the, the the kind of the morphing technology that was really big at that time that had been used in music videos and stuff like that. Yeah, mm. yeah. Combined with incredible practical costuming and makeup mm-hmm, effects mm-hmm. and stuff like that and animation, kind of stop motion-y type stuff. It's a, it's a fascinating blend. I would love a real, like, and I'm sure that it exists on a, blu-ray special feature or somewhere like a real breakdown of like here is how exactly how we did it using the technology at the time because that does exist yeah um yeah yeah yeah, because it's yeah and it's the kind of thing that now you would just be like oh just do it complete cgi and it would lose so much yeah you'd get um what the fuck is that um gerard butler gods of egypt oh yes gods of egypt yes you get that. Yeah. And then you go, ah, no. It's um, like how every, like, Marvel superhero now has, like, a, a mask that they can, like, press a button. Not even, they don't do anything. They just suck it on and it suck just, it off. It just pops on and pops off with nothing. And it looked so much cooler when Tony Stark's, like, actual face plate had to pop up yes. so that you could see it. You can see it around yeah, Robert yeah, Downey yeah. Jr.'s yeah. ears and stuff. When it's but they Tom actually, Holland's like, face appearing or if it's Chris Pratt appearing, you're like, yeah, sure. Yeah. It doesn't have the same uh, tactile impact. Exactly. But the the thing about Stargate is it set up a really interesting and captivating bit of world story. Uh, story Sorry, Jack. It set up a really sort of captivating bit of world building and storytelling. And it was just enough adventure to sort of spark that intrigue in me specifically. So I really loved it. And I would watch the the VHS over and over, and when they said they were going to make a TV series, I was like, yes, please. Similar lines to you. Absolutely loved it as a kid, and re- I rewatched it for this episode. Revisiting it, because I have seen, not all of, but enough of SG-1, some of Atlantis, bits of Universe as well, like, I've dipped in and out of the Stargate franchise over the years. Yeah. So much of it just becomes like, oh yeah, it's old and all this kind of stuff, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. Yeah, they're little snake parasites and this kind of stuff. Like, that's not in the movie. You know yeah. that, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. He's not a snake boy. It's like, no, no, no. He's a weird, like, grey face alien thing that's vaporized by a nuclear bomb. Like, it's yeah. impressive how much th- that show took what there was already there, the bones, and ran with it. It really did, yeah. yeah. And I was amazed. I think world building is a perfect thing there, Matt, to kind of set the imagination of. Bear in mind, I was like five or six. I would have been four when this came out, and I probably saw it like. Yeah, five, six, seven, eight, something like that. Like, definitely pre-teens, because I remember, again, having it on VHS and re-watching it a bunch of times. And the fact that it sets up a bunch of things like, oh, he's an alien. Nothing about him. Oh, they, they, have, they buried this Stargate. Don't know why. Oh, there's this thing. Like, it sets up so many little... Um, I, I talk about this so often in that kind of, like, speculative fiction existential yeah. sci-fi stuff that lets you ask questions about it rather than just being like and here is the explanation for this thing here's 15 minutes of exposition of this one character who knows all of the facts and is explaining to the surrogate audience member 
person and they're here and now you're basically the audience so i'm going to tell you all of the facts that you probably already know because mm. you also exist in this world it's like right okay <laughs> now i have no questions and this is very uninteresting because i know exactly how everything works mm-hmm. like whereas stargate stuff is like i don't know i don't know how any of those sh- why, why do they have cool ships why are they uh, did they are they influencing the egyptians are they like are they, were the original like pharaohs were they also aliens like how does doesn't matter. It's way more interesting that you don't know. Yeah. And unfortunately, they do explain a bunch of it in the show. But the they fact come up with that, their own version of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fact that it had kind of like melded in my brain and all merged together, and I'd kind of forgotten how mysterious the film is. If that makes sense, like Absolutely. how little they actually explain in the mm. in the original movie. It's like, oh yeah, you don't get fucking anything about anything. Nope. Ra doesn't even get a, another name for like his alien race or. Really, his motivation outside of he was dying and needed a new body. Yeah. Ta-da. Mm. Like, that's it. It like, has a fairy tale element. And the nice thing, what it's doing inadvertently is tying in the feeling, in theory, of um, what we now know is pillaging, um, <laughs> but, but exploration. Of like, I've uncovered this hint of a landscape. I've uncovered a hint of a people, of a language. And I'm piecing it together slowly. And that doesn't make sense. That's counterintuitive. That oh, no, this does work because of this. Um, and there's a mystery element to it. And you have this sort of like, you're going on that journey, which is what's so interesting about, as a bit of a segue here, the Daniel Jackson, Colonel O'Neill romance. The, no, just, just the complete... Okay, the, the idea... Homerotic. That, <laughs> that these two individuals... Slash fiction. If you like. Oh. It's not really a buddy situation. It's not really opposition either. They're just two diametrically opposed individuals. It's classic scientists versus military. You get a lot in science fiction, really. It's like, I've come here to blow it up, and I've come here to study them. It's always the same shit. I'm here if you succeed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's menacing and wonderful, because they're like, they do not have a kinship until they really do. But mm. even then, because it's Spader and Russell, two amazing actors you never really feel they have the chemistry until they suddenly snap at the end it's like ah now i get it kurt russell is kind of unlikable for a long part of this film yeah absolutely he plays it like a wanker he's supposed to be and he plays it well yeah Yeah. um but then also they set up a reason why he's like that and it's like there's a there's one moment where they're storming i shot a kid (laughs) who hasn't man (laughs) um but uh it was it was the whole um when they're storming the uh, the pyramid, and he he pulls out the, the like the M5 wherever it is, mm. he goes hey, come here, and he does a little wink. And I'm like, oh, some personality, yeah. Jesus Christ! I mean, I know that when we get to the SG1, which I, similar to Jack, I've seen all of SG1. I still love it. Don't give a shit about Atlantis. I haven't seen a single episode. I don't care about Universe or any of that shit. Atlantis is fine. I didn't like Universe. I've seen. I think I've seen all of most of SG1. Yeah. I don't think I've seen every single episode, but I've I've seen hmm. bits of every single season that I have seen the overarching yeah. bollocks and stuff. But like that. the key thing I'm bringing up that for is because bringing in Richard Dean Anderson, um, and McGaver, McGaver, he said, "Oh, I love what they did in the film, but I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that same energy for a hmm. show." So he starts out like he's cold and a bit indifferent, but then eventually he's just charming and quippy and yeah, yeah, let's yeah. go do this. Um, and it's a new version of O'Neill. Because, again, I don't know why you would write 
these two characters who become very close allies to a degree in a way that they feel like they would like beat each other up in school <laughs> or, yeah. let's face it you know Kurt Russell mm. would beat up a, a spader in school yes um and, and and there's like there's there's so little common ground for them mm. and yet they have that that uh, that that rapport it, as it's, it were it's very it feels like it very much relies on getting two good actors to to sell that very much it, so. both their individual performances and their the chemistry and the eventual bond that they form mm-hmm. because like i feel like it would not work with so many other actors yeah um and it's they they do a, because especially because kurt russell's character they don't try and sell you on him for so long in the yeah movie. yeah um he, they it, keep you at arm's length for a reason yeah right? yeah it feels like a very unusual pair of protag like deuteragonists or whatever you want to call it pair sure. of protagonists especially o'neill like mm-hmm. compared to like modern blockbusters mm. they 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 feel very different yeah definitely do you guys know anything about how kurt russell and james spader got involved because I I, me I being me do. i did a bunch of research and stuff i i'm sure i have heard bits but not really uh they both hated it so <laughs> they they got the original script and were like i am not doing this you are fucking stupid yeah of course. uh kurt russell turned it down i think it was four times yeah. Before finally meeting with Emmerich directly, once Emmerich had been signed on, because this was even before, um, like they had announced it as Roland Emmerich. I think Dean Devlin was doing, who's one of the other writers, yes, was doing most of the meetings and stuff, and like sending out the script. And then finally, he was convinced. He was like, "All right, fine, but I'm gonna do this my way, and I'm gonna have this thing, and blah blah blah." And kind of had some creative input on yeah. Colonel O'Neill. Spader did it for the money. <laughs> Yeah, he apparently fucking hated it. Was like, oh god, I'm gonna do some like schlocky sci-fi bollocks. I want to be a real. It's a it's a career killing thing. I want to be a real actor. I'm a yeah, theater yeah. man for God's sake. Yeah. This this will pay my bills for a couple of years and mean I can do another sex lies and videotape. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I'll go off to yeah. make secretary. It'll be fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, and it's fascinating that you you both touched on it there. Like the chemistry between Spader and Russell works so well and weirdly enough does translate into sg1 even with mm. shanks and anderson in a, in a very different dynamic yeah. but i think the way jackson and o'neill russell and spader work so well together the fact that they were but not only one of them nearly wasn't it but both very nearly were not involved mm. and it could have been whoever else well i know jay davidson also mm. was basically trying to quit acting at that point it, he did and uh, <laughs> it quit after this yes. and was they were really keen to get him mm-hmm. and so he was like fine i'll do it if you give me a million dollars and they yeah. were like okay and he was like well shit now i have to do it <laughs> yes. and, and they literally had uh he had an earpiece for half of it as well where mm. they were like feeding him lines on mm. set and stuff like that he was in it sounds like basically from everyone involved it was a fucking nightmare to make yeah, yeah. and kurt russell is apparently quite difficult to work with James Spader is a was a fucking nightmare at the time because he was very very like theater darling mm. yeah, yeah, and being yeah, like yeah. uh yeah I'm not going to do that I want to do it this way and do it that way and mm-hmm, blah blah, blah. Mm-hmm. oh god Kurt's walking through the middle of my scene right now and like yeah. had this whole ego clash thing and all that kind of stuff as you can imagine from you know that era and that kind of, of course cast and somehow and, and 
Emmerich, who is not used to first film, basically. Yeah, just not, weird, not used jolly to dealing German. with. He had, so he egos. had done Universal Soldier a couple of years oh, before of course, that. Yes, but again, still very low. Not not project. exactly conducting a huge cast and all that kind of mm. stuff. So yeah, it's a it's a really it's a fascinating thing where it it, it's ama- it amazes me how well the franchise continued on through TV, considering what an absolute horror show the making of this film was. I'm not surprised they didn't get any sequels from a movie perspective. Um, there was an interview with one of the producers I, I watched on YouTube that was him talking about the original plan to do the trilogy of movies. Yes. Which may or may not influence my money pitch later. Oh. There's a little spoiler for uh, a little tease for the second half. They talked about how they had this all like planned out and Dean Devlin had worked on it. Emmerich had planned it out. They were going to do all three together, all this kind of stuff. And it made money. Like uh, you mentioned earlier, it's about a $50 million budget, give or mm-hmm. take. It made about $200 million, which is for, which for, 90s for money the mid-90s. Is a lot. That's pretty decent. But basically no one wanted to come back. And I, I assume, spoiler alert for a lot of our pitches, you're going to have to drag them back kicking and screaming in certain ways. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the, the interesting thing uh is going to be money because it's not the passion behind it that made it i remember seeing an interview about sg1 starting up and they brought kurt russell because he was in like the neighboring studio filming yes. 3000 master grace sound or something like that and so he was dressed something as elvis. he cares about greatly yeah yeah this is not a good film nope loves elvis though he's does, great does as elvis Russell. But, yeah. Yeah. but basically um he came in and looked at the set it's like oh it's all crazy how they you know do mm. this for tv and it, it's obviously it's always like we're going to oh a yeah strange... there's that big ring again yeah, well, oh yeah strange new world it's like a lot of woodland looks a lot like Canada yeah um, <laughs> everywhere in the world in the universe it's like Canada yeah. yeah but the the classic thing is that Emmerich did this film it was enough of a success to say I want to do another big action piece mm. big sci-fi piece like fine what are you doing and he makes Independence Day yeah which I can't, I mean, we've obviously did an episode about it, but I cannot stress how big Independence Day was in the 90s. It, it was it, It's become a, a moment in pop culture. Yeah. It's a thing people describe it. Oh, it's like we say with like, oh, it's Die Hard on a train. Oh, it's Die Hard mm-hmm. on a plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Independence Day, but blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yeah. It's become this like It was the explosion um, of the White House. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it, was, it, was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was kind of spectacle um, porn, as it were. Yeah. Mm. And then it was like, how did you achieve this? Mm. And it's like, well, we made Minute. these giant models and we yeah. blew them up. We blew up bigotures? Mm. Yes. <laughs> and it's, again, the marriage of practical effects, digital effects. Mm. It's the lessons learned on Stargate transposed to this, etc. with a bigger yeah. budget. Yeah. And, and an incredible, like powerhouse of 90s casting in, in Independence Day. Who the fuck puts Bill Pullman, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith together? Will Smith at that point, who was just coming off Fresh Prince. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's like, eh, they will charm their way through it. Turns out. I mean, the interesting thing is, because I this was a thought I had when I first started thinking about, like, how would I sequelize Stargate? Like, one of the most obvious things is you go, okay, we went to the alien planet, aliens come to our planet. Oh, that's what Independence Day was. Yep, yep. And you can take, you could very easily turn Jeff Goldblum's character in Independence Day into James Spader's Correct. character yes. in Stargate. Yep. And if you take 
Kurt Russell and split him in two, you get Will Smith and Bill Pullman. That, that is exactly correct. It. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So you can definitely see the DNA of Stargate. You know, yeah. even even if you ignore all the big budget sci-fi stuff. But that's that's where the again, it, and after Independence Day, if you were to just flex your muscles and say, "You're coming back to do another one," mm. I will pay you. They'd be like, "Yeah, right." Yeah. And then of course he went and did Godzilla. Yeah. And I have a lot of affection for that movie. I don't know. I don't know why. And it's like nerdy scientist time. Who we got? Matt Broderick. Yeah. Um, Matthew. Jean Gameses. <laughs> yeah. it, it's it's the fact that it was just more and more bigger and bigger spectacle. And then the day after tomorrow in 2004, it's mm. bigger and bigger. And then off a fucking cliff of nonsense and the CGI got yeah. into the toilet and blah blah. SG. I don't talk about SG one too much because I really enjoy it. I think it was a, a, a the perfect version. Of we're going to do something off the back, like a leapfrog off the back of this TV, this film, mm. sorry, and do our own thing with it and just run with it. We're going to honor what came in the film, but we're making our own show here. Mm. And for the, again, because the scale is so limited in Stargate, you kind of get away with it the TV series. If you had an Independence Day TV series mm. in the 90s, it would be shit. Yeah. Because it, it was too big. If you had a Godzilla, well, actually, never had the Godzilla. Uh, TV series of 90s, but it was a cartoon because then we could mm. do it to make it you know satisfying yeah. enough. But Stargate, it's it's just the right scale. Once you've got that effect of the gate opening and closing down, and can and can insert that, you could just cut over and over again, which is what they did. Yeah, uh, then you don't you don't have to worry about you know it's it's a bit like the practicality mm. of the transporters in Star Trek, yeah, where they did that because it was cheaper than having a shuttle fly down to the the planet every episode is you can just go they just walk onto this pad which is a set that we have mm-hmm. and then we go to the middle of the desert or our soundstage yeah. and yep. there they are how are we gonna do that an effect that was invented in the 20s yeah like just film it and take them away and then try you know yeah put the two over each other oh brilliant like that sounds really cheap some light yes, yes, go. yeah, yeah. Whoop, there you go um just to touch on my origin uh yes please i was eight when this film came out um it is one of the first films that I can really remember my experience of going to the cinema to see and remember being excited to go and see it. Like I'd seen films in the cinema before, but we weren't we weren't a family that did lots and lots of trips to the cinema. And but I can I can remember for whatever reason and I can't remember what order I did this in because I owned the novelization of Stargate. Oh. And I can't remember if I had that before or after I saw the film. Because I, I think I seem to remember getting it from like a book fair or something, something ridiculous yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But for whatever reason, uh, if, if, I, if I didn't have that before, I must have seen like a trailer or something. And I can remember being really hyped to go see it and coming out and being like, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and had the VHS and watched it a lot as a child. To the point where I can like remember the trailers that were in front of it. Yeah. Um, yes. And but interestingly enough, watched the first couple of episodes of SG One. Didn't watch any more. Yeah. Oh. Partially because I seem to remember, and I could be spouting total bollocks here. When it first came to UK TV, it was showing on Channel Four, and I believe it was on Sunday evenings mm. at about tea time, and we. Didn't, we either didn't watch TV while we were having dinner or it was like Songs of Praise or something. Yeah. And so I just, I just, uh, I didn't have, you know, I could have 
VH, didn't align with your uh, yeah, things. Yeah, I could have recorded it every week, but that was a lot of effort for something that I watched and was like, that's not Kurt Russell. Well, Stargate's <laughs> episode one of SG-1 uh, was rated 18 over here because it had violence and tits. Yep. Well, there's there's two different versions of it. There are. That's true. Because there was, it, it showed on Showtime, which is cable mm-hmm. in America originally, but then they had a deal where it very quickly got syndicated yep. out to, I believe, Fox stations in the US. Correct. Much mm-hmm. faster than it normally would do mm-hmm. to help them recoup some of the cost of it because it was an expensive show to make. Yeah. Um, and so they basically... They made the pilot, which did have tits and violence in it, um, because they were like, we're Showtime, we're a tits and violence channel, you've got to yeah. put some tits and violence in this. Uh, and the showrunners were like, we don't want to do that, that's not the show we're making, that's not the film that we're based on. Yeah. Um, you and get so, a bunch of kids who like this PG film. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Mommy! So there is that version available, but there was also, very quickly, the syndicated version Yeah. that was for, you know showing on your local Fox affiliate. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just remember the DVD being a problem to get a hold of. Yes. Because it was like, the director's cut episode. Yes, director's cut. All the tits included. Yeah. But but I'm, well. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect, kid. You learned something. Yeah. Speaking of director's cuts, there was quite a few changes to the movie along the way as well. Mm, Even during the filming process with... I mentioned Dean Devlin and uh, Roland Emmerich being essentially the two creative forces driving this whole thing. They worked on the screenplay together. They essentially were kind of co-producing it and all that kind of stuff. And they also edited it as well, pretty much directly hands-on editing from Emmerich, which is mm. unusual for a lot of directors, To for those of you who aren't aware of typically what happens for sort of these bigger production things. But mm. it actually wasn't that big. This was fairly independent, fairly creatively driven but just a fucking hassle to make. So the fact that Ra is explicitly an alien was like one of the last things that is introduced into the film. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which I find fucking fascinating because I think the film doesn't work if he's not an alien. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's... it was, it's implied, but they went back and shot like the abduction scene and stuff like that. Right, way yeah. after they finished filming and had to get, so he would just have been a human who was ruling over that. Yes. Well, remember, there's also this is five years after. Wow, that's a weird sentence. Is that right? What? Yeah, that is. I don't know what you're about to say. This is five years after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yes. So you could have a fantastical element. It's like it's just a mystical being. Yeah. It's just a force. It's just a thing. Yes. Yeah. We're saying it's an alien. Is like aliens. Yes. Oh, we had Star Wars so yeah, they, and Star Trek. What's they this? go back with Jay Davidson and work with him, and I believe he was like, like you said, Tim, basically retired as soon as they finished filming mm. and was like, I'm done with this. So they pretty much shot him from like the waist up <laughs> <laughs> as him, like, you know, wandering about and then being abducted and all that mm. kind of stuff. Um, the opening shot. With the um the Pharaoh's mask and stuff. Such a cool opening to the film. Yeah, it is. That's like a fiberglass miniature with this amazing like uh motion tracking yeah. rig thing that mm-hmm. goes through. That was all added afterwards that as well. Sense. That's that's like one of the yeah. last things they filmed. First scene they actually shot with Kurt Russell is the stuff in the house, and then they cut his hair. <laughs> yeah. And he, he yeah, specifically asked sense. for them to dye it and stuff, so it looked better on camera. <laughs> so you know, just like, oh, you're suddenly a bit 
blonde or gingerish, blonde, I guess. Yeah. It's like, weirdly like strawberry blonde yeah, sort yeah. of. Yeah, apparently that was Kurt Russell's idea. Like I said, because it was such a weird, like, oh, it's reasonably high budget, but also fairly creatively driven, there was a lot of kind of like creative input from a lot of the actors, which usually you wouldn't kind of see for this kind of thing. Which you got a lot of in the 90s. Yes. You you had the studio system kind of shattered a bit with the 70s and 80s directors coming through, like obviously Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas, etc., etc., etc. And then the 80s, you had a bit more studio presence again in these really... We're going to do whatever the fuck we like, independent films, as it were. And then the 90s was this this wave of talent who were like, you know who I really like? This actor. It's like, no one wants to have that person on the screen. I don't care. I'm an, a, a new kid on the block. And, and in Emmerich's case, I've been directing stuff in Germany for the last five, six years, making yep. weird sci-fi fantasy bollocks. Yeah, techno horror bollocks. Yeah. yeah. I like these people. And the same thing with like Tarantino. I like uh, Travolta. D- no, don't. He'll sink the film. Nah, yeah. I like him. Well, let's get him on board. Cause why? Because I heard him. from Walt Disney that Kurt Russell is the future of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't wrong, uh, but Disney's also he was wrong. Um, and to kind of wrap up the production side of things, um, a lot of the desert stuff was shot in Arizona. Pretty much all of it was shot in Arizona. They did not have any kind of oh, let's you know control the weather and do this thing and like. We've talked about it with like Mad Max Fury Road is the the weird example. It kind of works because of that weird universe of this is a day shot turned into a night shot yeah. by just putting a filter over the top. Like, oh, mm. look, it's blue. Now it's green. Mm. Like, oh, that kind of thing. None of that shit. Mm. They just shot during the middle of the day in Arizona Oof. and it, apparently it, got to 123 degrees. Yeah, I heard that because it was the whole you couldn't do it outside of that time period because there were like dune buggy races or something. Yes. So they'd had to build these enormous sets yep. outside. In, in an actual Arizona desert. Until yep. about 10 o'clock. And there's like, no, because the, the steel scaffolding is now, you will like burn your hands. <laughs> yeah. the, um, Spader described it as taking the skin off your palms. Yeah. <laughs> and they got the, that big, uh, I can't remember what it's called, the mid- Midange, Melange or some... some Spice, Spice Melange. melange. Um, the big horse thing. Oh, um, yeah. 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 And that thing... The Abaddonian... It, it, in the SG-1, it's called Abydos. It's a whole mm. thing. I think they call it Abydos in the... They do fil- not. Well, in, yeah. in the script, it's called Abydos, I believe. But not in the film. Out in, loud, they do not In the film, it's called yeah, yeah. Nothing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in Which, behind again, the scenes, it is. There's that whole mystery thing of like, welcome to a planet. Yeah. Here is an alien. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, puts you in the audience... Puts the audience in the mindset of the explorers. They're like, What's this? Yeah. Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah, you know as much yeah. as the characters, essentially, yeah. Yeah. for the most part. There's a wonderful line where I was like, Jackson, what's she saying? I have no idea. It's like, yeah. what do you mean? There's no <laughs> subtitle. We don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. But Quite a few it works. people were annoyed. Uh, again, me watching like reviews and stuff. People were like, sometimes the subtitles don't come up. I'm like, nah. Yeah. Because they, they don't know the language. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. like, you don't know. Because they don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's that, how that works. That's a common, yeah. like, use of subtitles and then lack of subtitles in film like where have you been um yeah so to kind of wrap up my thoughts i think like it does a lot of things really well i think the production is incredible the production has really stayed with me if that makes sense whenever i think of big cool sci-fi designs this always sticks out in my brain for whatever reason and i think about big cool sci-fi designs all the time ladies and gentlemen people listening out there because the Egyptian 
twist on it all, like you were saying earlier, Tim, like the transforming masks and stuff, the the shifting teleporter rings mm. thing is super cool. The but, alien weapon that like vibrates your skull until yeah. you die. Yeah. There's so many cool little like what felt like very unique things at the time to me. And I still think the reason they stick out in my brain and again, rewatching it now for the first time in probably ten, maybe even fifteen years, maybe even longer, was like God, this does still hold up. These designs do feel unique still. Staffs. Yeah. For weapons. Yeah. It's when there's like... It's like, ooh. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the fuck this is, but... It it doesn't feel like Star Trek. It doesn't feel like Star Wars. It it doesn't feel like so many other things. If anything, it had like... Again, it's around a similar sort of time. Like, Fifth Element has a lot of like weird, unique designs. Yeah. They're kind of playing off a lot of the similar kind of... I mean, that's full on French. We're going to do everything and push it to like it's it's the it's the sliding scale in video games like what can i do with this character push everything to 10 yeah i want to see what it all looks like when and, it's mental and, and fifth element is very influenced by like um mobius and other yeah, like absolutely French it's sci-fi it's, comic it's the incal yeah yeah, incal, it, yeah it's literally the incal yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, which is fantastic by the way i read that fairly recently it's fantastic nice. whereas the, this is a very germanic like yes Let's talk about how this is going to work. What's yeah. the design like? Mm. How do these gliders work? Yeah. J- j- just brilliant. So they apparently tried to build the gliders. Uh, Emmerich wanted it to be as, his, his exact words were, as alien as possible. <laughs> and I was like, okay, what does that mean? So make it look like it couldn't fly on Earth, basically. Mm. So this big, bulky, blocky thing that mm. defies gravity. Yeah. And they couldn't work. <laughs> they couldn't build a thing that would actually, like, with the support of wires and stuff not just swing about and look like right, shit yeah. so they're like, still bound by physics they're yeah. like roland we're on earth now i'm sorry but they have to kind yeah. of have some aerodynamics and, because they are literally going through the air yeah and presumably you know the planet that they're on basically has similar gravity to earth and air that humans can breathe they specifically say that yeah they do the whole like atmosphere match on the yeah yeah. so the properties would presumably be similar it's not like it's yeah it's it's a classic example of i want to do something different that people haven't seen before yeah that was a huge factor in this pretty much yeah and and this is what and this is just a completely pivot here before we get to our second half this is what frustrates me this uh is an example of a director with a lot of interesting vision um and Devlin is a writer really interesting concept they're working really well together and they're doing stuff that's bold and they're kind of cowboying it a little bit because you want that from that mid-tier budget you want someone to go from I've been making these you know quirky little films there's some potential here I've made Universal Soldier it's it's a sci-fi thing but kind of still quite grounded in the way that in a weird uh, a parallel um uh, first Blood, for example, uh, with the Rambo stuff. It's like funny you mentioned that. Just to cut in there with oh, Rambo yeah. stuff, uh, it's the same desert they shot Rambo three in. In oh, Arizona. there we go. So there yeah, you go. yeah, yeah. There's a literal title. Oh, there we go. Um, but yes, yeah, so the idea that um, First Blood is like, yeah, it's not a big budget film because it's about the story. But if you put like a sci-fi twisted element in there, like, oh yeah, no, but same sort of scale. You give them a bit of a sandbox to play in, but it's not huge crazy money that you earn the Independence Day money by doing this. And we don't have enough mid-tier budget films to, at the minute to... to re- we're having a few of them come back, but yeah. to justify that. And then, and this is what really cuts me, 
we talk about this on, in glass with M. Night Shyamalan, and we talk about a lot of things. Emmerich gets to about mid 2000s and it all goes through the fucking floor for me. <laughs> so you've got, I just want to run through this very quickly, if you don't mind, just to give a point of example. So, Universal Soldier, a lot of people enjoy it. I think it's got a lot of potential. Too many fucking sequels, it's on my list. Um, then you've got Stargate, adore it. Independence Day, really love it. Godzilla, I'm, eh, I'm not going to get around to it, but <laughs> I, yep. Here we go. The Patriots. In the Patriots. I don't dislike it. It's, oh, I, 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 it's I, I, schlock, but yeah. it makes period films more. It, one of the first films I've seen that says, you know, a cannonball doesn't explode, right? So what do you mean? It just plows through things. Like, it's just wow. a big lump of metal. Yeah, it's just yeah, full of explosives. No, 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 no. He's just going to be surprised by this. Also, it bounces. Yeah, yes. watch yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. things like that. You go, that's interesting. Then you get the day after tomorrow. I think it's okay as a big spectacle, yeah. silly film. It's dumb. Yeah. The cold outrunning the cold is stupid. Never seen it. It's fine. Nah, it's Ten thousand BC is shit. Hot shit. Awful. <laughs> Bag of shit. Terrible. Twenty twelve is frustrating. It's I meh. Fucking hate twenty twelve. Anonymous is dumb. Uh, that's the um. <laughs> oh, that's the such the a weird one. pivot yeah. for like, like having done all this big sci-fi yeah. stuff to then and and. Being so known for that, like disaster huge, movie stuff, big huge disaster stuff, movie, yeah. huge spectacle. Like even ten thousand BC, like it wasn't disaster, but it was still spectacle yeah, and, yeah, and big scope. Yes, absolutely. And the thing is, that's what Anonymous is interesting for because they said we want to bring that because usually when you see something set in the fifteen hundreds in Britain, it's very small and dark alleyways mm. and things like that. That's what Britain was. There were no roads; there were only alleys. Yeah. Um, and but we want to show we, the scale of it. Like, yeah, and now we want Reese Siffins as Edward Devere. Like. Oh, and again, this is the problem. It's the whole like, oh, by the way, Shakespeare didn't write all this stuff. And I'm like, but yeah. did, who, who cares? Yeah. Then you get to White House Down. Tim. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Return to form. Yep. <laughs> Channing Tatum. Return to form. Full stop. Yeah. Channing Tatum. Full stop. We then get interesting because we That's get... That's my review. <laughs> <laughs> Five stars. Problem solved. Um, I was very tired and it made me cry. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't. Usually, Magic Mike does that to people, but <laughs> this is the Channing Tatum you chose. Uh, he did Stonewall, which was not a wise idea, but as an yeah. opening gay, oh, do yeah. I understand why you want to tell that story? But it, the, his execution, not good. No. He made Independence Day res uh, res <laughs> Resurgence, which we do not care for. It's uh, no, you got the title right. It's Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> <laughs> Big pile of shit. Which we've literally fixed on the show previously. We have. Then he Against made Stuart Ashen's wishes. That's true. Because he, he, made... he loves that movie so much. Well, he just doesn't like Independence Day. That was the joke. And he's wrong. I agree. To be fair, it was like seven years ago, five years ago, whatever it was. We <laughs> fucking talked about it. Um, Midway. Bad oh, film. Yeah. I've not seen it. It's very mid. I've heard bad things, yeah. And then Moonfall, which is a big pile of shit. Film of the year. Is what I've heard about Moonfall. No. Yeah. The point is, this guy's made, in my opinion, about four film of the year, Moon of the Fall, oh! <laughs> and Fall of the Moon, Transformers, Fall of the Moon. Uh, my brain, something um, like that. But the point is that I think he's made about four or five good films, and all of them are way in the fucking past. Universal Soldier, I think calling it good is a stretch. Sure. Stargate, good. Yeah. Independence Day, good. Yeah. White House Down. White House Down. Thank you, Tim. There's a 15-year gap, then White House Down. Do you, do you mean the rest of them? Nope. 
Okay, that, that is, that's the definitive well, list. There you go. That's fair because that's the point. Is like it, Godzilla, it, it, not good. Patriot, not good. Be quiet, Matthew. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Man 2012, builds, man builds a rocking chair. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that's Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla's going to sit down and have a and relax. Anonymous, weirdly enough. Yeah, rocking chairs. Who knew? Um, so it's very frustrating because you can see there's this really excitable talent who's making really yeah. interesting, cutting edge stuff getting just churned up in the system. It's like, you know how to tell stories, motherfucker. How is this so shit now? Weirdly enough, we don't usually tie into season stuff into previous season stuff, but we talked about this so much with M. Night Shyamalan, right? Because we he's another creator who has funded his own films, who does his own stuff, yep. does weird adaptations you of shit know he how probably to tell shouldn't, a story. He shouldn't adapt. He has told interesting stories. He's had the cultural defining moment in the 90s with fucking Sixth Sense, like Emmerich did with Independence Day, you have this yep. like, oh my god, this defined this decade. I see dead people, that shot of the White House exploding, all this kind of stuff. Like, they're yeah. moments that people know even if they haven't seen those films. If they're born after those films have been released. Well, they're three years apart. And that's, it, it's all the same zeitgeist. Exactly, right? That era, that moment in time in pop culture and movies is so like. <sighs> impactful at that time and then they've both just gone on to do a bunch of shit for the last 20 years and then like we said in the glass episode we have like oh he's back again good old Shyamalan he's done it again <laughs> and 10 years later he's back again again and then three years after that he's I mean it's not terrible he's got a beach it makes <laughs> you old there's a beach it's not the wind or Mark Wahlberg this time there's a beach is it better not exactly and, um, it's not the worst because he's made one of the worst films ever in Avatar <laughs> so the bar's very low but he's not it's not that so it's fine everything's fine and then Roland Emmerich has the same thing of like well I mean it's not Independence Day it's it's not Moonfall it can't be that bad <laughs> We then have this new low bar, right? And it, yeah, it's this weird kind of almost parallel between the two yeah. of them. And having these moments where he's like, oh yeah, I would quite like to see a sequel to Stargate. Or as we talked about with Unbreakable, like he would never think, oh yeah, I'd like to see a sequel to Unbreakable. But when that moment happens at the end of Split, you go, oh. I'd oh, be curious to see where this goes. That's interesting. Where, where could this possibly go? I assume the next film is about the triad for some reason. Right, Matthew? It is now. Yeah. You're all welcome. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Matt's pitch from the end of the season. Yes. and The last episode. Yes. But I think it's really interesting having those two... Like I said, I think capturing that zeitgeist is a really nice way of putting it, Matt. In that mm. era in the 90s where this kind of filmmaker was basically being developed and created, right? Mm. And they just kind of kept on ticking and making stuff. Yep, and they very much peaked with like the second or third movie, and they were like, "Uh oh, I guess I've got to do shit for another twenty-five years." If you just paired them back, and didn't give them everything, because <laughs> Moonfall, Independence Day, Resurgence are so, so bad. <laughs> they are so bad, and they were so expensive. I don't understand. I mean, I think that's partially also. A problem of the kind of films that get made nowadays, unfortunately, yes, is we don't we don't have. I mean, obviously, like Stargate, even at the time, was quite an expensive film, and then he went on to do Independence Day, which was a huge budget film. But the it seems like he 
settled into a pattern where like stuff like and again this is just me going off the top of my head i feel like once he got around to stuff like 2012 like those weren't the most expensive films in the world at that point they were big budget but they they knew what they were they weren't like yeah you know and also they they he's never done franchise stuff like he's never done stuff with name recognition that people have gone like oh well i've got to go see the new batman film or the james bond film by Roland Demerick. it's always been his own weird original shit exactly um and so they are they're at the higher end of mid-level budgets but they're still kind of slotting into that and obviously shalaman may make like cheap horror low budget stuff that then made a bunch of money and and crept into the kind of mid-level filmmaking um and I I think that the the studios just aren't making those films, so the scripts are not getting written that service those films. So they have to go they have to go for something ridiculously huge like Moonfall, that's like pure spectacle and total nonsense. I think that's entirely fair. I also think that um, if Stargate was released today, it would fall on its ass and die because it's too slow and there's nothing not enough happening visually uh, for for a contemporary audience. But also, you're absolutely right, because when you pigeonhole yourself as a Bay and Emmerich, it's like, oh, what kind of big thing are you going to do? And if it's not big enough, you go, oh. So, for example, Moonfall feels like, uh, I need to get some money to get this project going. I'm going to get a co-funded thing from America and China and what the fuck ever. Uh, what's it about? Um, it, it, moon. So, what happens? It it's a it's it's not just a thing it's it's coming for us yeah that doesn't make any sense it's actually an alien thing yeah and when you've blown up the white house you go oh where do you go from here it's like what if we froze the earth oh what about we flooded the earth what's next i've kind of gone too big yeah i'm fucked now (laughs) what's what's your next idea shakespeare no 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 a little bit little bit bigger yeah a little bit more explodey yeah the white house again but (laughs) I mean, in theory, something like Midway should have been... That should have been, yeah. The right the war, choice which for means him. It's always like... It, it became a bit Pearl harbor It's like... Yeah. Are you actually telling a story about a thing? I mean, there's, there's, we backed that classic fucking, oh, let's tell another World War II story. But Midway doesn't really feel like a... I'm not saying the event in question doesn't warrant, doesn't warrant being told. Yeah. I don't think it warrants being told in this way yeah i think he should have done a full fucking pacific rim or some shit and had or or, or fucking uh kong skull island mm. should have had what about if we get the midway pilots or just a random battalion of like mm. um uh, or a squadron not the down sorry a squadron of like world war ii fight races and they fly through a bermuda triangle thing but it teleports them to another world and they have to there what? you go there's your fucking big story yeah, go what is that film that's like the the battleship goes backwards in time that kept showing up. We did a quiz about time travel films, and we oh. kept getting questions about that film. Yes, it's it's slipped off my memory now. Yeah, not the quartermaster experiment, but I know you mean the. It's I know the one you're talking make, about. Make make remake that. Yeah, there you go. Do some weird shit. Yeah, because I think you doing a straight war film is going to feel bad. Yeah, which it did. Um, two two things I want to kind of just quickly pivot. Two off of that. Philadelphia talk- experiment? Yeah, that sounds about Probably, right. Yeah. I put the ship that travels through time. <laughs> it's, it's another one that happens, yeah. So You said like, oh, what, what what would Stargate coming out today look like? 
it would be one of these Netflix or Amazon streaming exactly exclusives it. that shows up and syncs with that. It would be the Tomorrow War or something like that. Mm. God, it would, yes. Um, but not shy, hopefully. Yeah, which also makes me worry because there's there's been noises of like, oh, you know, Take like maybe we'll back. maybe we'll bring maybe we'll actually do a sequel now, like you know, and. MGM is now owned by Amazon. So if anything that happens, oh, yeah. it is going straight to Prime. Yep. Um, and the other thing, talking about war, I do want to quickly touch on the politics of Stargate. Oh, okay. Because it, yeah, it yeah, yeah. comes from a fascinating time. It's, slo- it's just post-first Gulf War. Yeah. Um, and it is so, like hyped up on that energy in terms of its portrayal of the US military and essentially the analogues of like, here, we're going to come in and support you guys who are rebelling against this bad man who who keeps you all trodden underfoot and you'll you'll love us when the, the US military sweeps in and you'll all salute us. Have, yeah, that's and we'll the, teach we'll teach you how to use a gun, and then you'll yeah. overthrow the thing, and then uh, you know, no, no, Tim, Tim, they'll reluctantly teach you. Yes. Guns are bad, kid. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I shot a kid. <laughs> um, no, it's it's bad, and then it's like you're you, all right, but kid. You, you you need it, and you're all right. Yeah, so I'll here help you, you go. They're not child soldiers; they're on our side, right? Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah, you can just leave a. An MP5 just yeah. lying in front of a child. Yeah. To they were going to fight with. anyway. It's, yeah, yeah, they'll 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 learn eventually. Yeah, and now we've completely destabilized your uh, your culture and economy. And uh, this one's going to sleep with your women. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to leave one dude here uh, who's kind of useless, uh, and uh, uh, we're going to fuck off now. <laughs> there's a brilliant Bye. there's a brilliant moment in one of the reviews I was uh, listening to earlier where they talk about like how incredibly irresponsible all of the earthlings are and just like <laughs> leaving things, giving cigarettes to children, just yeah. leaving guns everywhere. It's like, and do you know who's the worst? That's right, Dr. Jackson. He doesn't bring any guns though. Yeah, he has a cold though yeah. and gives kids his handkerchief with snot on it. And, oh, I don't know, that's how you murder entire populations. <laughs> that's Absolutely. how you genocide people with polio, you fucking maniac. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. Here, have these, give these people... Have who, these blankets full of rubella and stuff yeah. like that. And this culture specifically will not have immunities to the common cold because they're on a different mm-hmm. fucking planet. Yeah. So you probably have just killed all the Abaddonians. <laughs> Genocide. Genocide, Dr. Jackson. Genocide. I mean... <laughs> This this is the the beauty of the whole mystery aspect. It's like it does so much to uh, excite the imagination. Not enough to answer those questions because that's for <laughs> you, the audience, to explore in your mind, yeah. and not enough to say, "Ah, this is how it would work." Because then it's it's the black box theory. If I say my spaceship is powered by a black box that makes it go, and I just say it's a black box or a warp core. That's the end of it. That's how it goes. Shut the fuck up. I can't remember if this was a conversation that we were having or something I was watching recently mm. where it's like human beings will only ask why two or three times. Mm-hmm. So if you go like, well, how does it travel faster than light? It's like, well, it creates a pocket in subspace and uh, and that allows it to travel faster than light. They go, oh, okay. Like, the, yep. the, no one follows it up with like, 
but how does that work? Why does that work? And it will. How are you? Uh, how do you fold space? What do you mean yeah, by yeah. folding space? Yeah. And yeah. fan bases who sit with that for a very long time, which we all have been yeah. involved in things, go. But that. How, but how? And the thing is, once you start indulging as in as soon that, as you pick up that thread, the whole jumper comes yeah. unraveled. The, yeah. I yes. just told you the black box makes it work. Yeah. The second you start saying anything about what oh, is it's in it, it's a flux capacitor. Shut yeah. up. You are fucked. Yeah. The spice yeah. is just the fucking spice. Comes from the worm's bums. <laughs> That's just it. It's magic. And it makes you crazy and we don't get to see it's behind a glass door. Yeah. Because if you start talking about, well, hang on. So is the wormhole connected? Yes. How? What do you mean? Well, the wormhole's a literal conduit, yes? Because I can see... It goes like a fucking roller coaster. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a roller coaster through space. It's great. Space. It's, like one, it's like one of those big pods that you used to sit in and it would yes. give you like a... Shakes you around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in doing that, I know we see the... Like, the, it opens up. Yes. But it still has to... Do I go to like a portal in space and yeah. then it takes me there? or Because it doesn't open up the back. Yeah. It's like... Well, no, it's a tunnel. It how can't he, be a tunnel. How does he put his face into it for a while? And then it's... And then it's... And then it's it like, sucked. Shush, 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 shush. Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. And yeah. so subsequently, like, the whole, like, even with the politics, with the... with the, with the uh, Even with the religious aspect of the whole mm. thing and everything else, it's almost like the film says, did you enjoy it? <laughs> yeah. Then it doesn't matter. Oh, yes. You know, nobody, nobody actually wants to see a film about them, you know, rebuilding Abydos. It's called SG-1. But yes, turns that's, out, but yes, we do. that's what the first but, two seasons of SG-1. Yeah. Yeah. But having said that, the film knows what it's trying to do and doesn't go outside that remit too much. Yes. Which is where I think we're going to get interesting territory with these sequels but or I, our pitches for them. But I think, I think there is very much... There's room for it. There, there is unexamined just kind of regurgitation of what was the US... Oh, absolutely. ...attitude yeah. towards the Middle East at the time. Very much. Yeah. So. Which wasn't as... It, it, because it was pre nine like this film made post nine eleven be entirely different. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was pre nine eleven, it's a very different attitude. Again, Rambo three. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's, it's it's almost precisely, yeah. Mm. Um and um Gotta help the Taliban. It wasn't the Taliban, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, the Mujahideen. Yeah. Yes. In Afghanistan. Yeah. In that specific time period. Yeah. Yeah, give them Ugh. give them ten or so years, and they, they'll, they'll be the Taliban. Ooh, um, the CIA definitely armed the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, any anyway, um, but yeah, I th- I think it's it's um it, it makes for this fascinating little um again very much of its time Absolutely. that you can kind of point to and go like, hmm, yeah, you can you can see some stuff there that obviously like it, it's not a film that is really about that. But it is just taking certain ideas and not interrogating them at all, and just going like, "Yeah, that's how it would be. It's fine, and yeah, no problems." Yeah, and usually we'd be like irked by that. Sometimes like, "Oh, it's not very, uh, it's not very deep." It's like, "Yeah, but it knows what it's doing and it does it very well, and it just exists and it's fine." Yeah. Should we have a think about our pitches and see what we've come I'm up with? Really curious. About Me too. This. Me too. Yeah. I was saying to Matt before we start recording. I love these moments where we actually get to see what our three brains and what different directions they go yeah. in. Because we say this all the time with the main sequelizer stuff of, oh, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have done that. I, oh, my God, you put it in the 80s. I would have done like a 2015 version and done it that way. And yeah, oh, my God, yeah, like yeah. I find it fascinating. I've never cast that person, all that kind of discussion we have. We actually kind of get a little chance to explore it. Mm. And that's coming up in the second half, which is right now. Huh? This week's episode is sponsored by Audible. 
Audible has thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, guided meditations, and basically everything to entertain you in your earbuds or through some speakers. And we're here to enhance that fantastic experience for you, dear listeners, because if you go to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you get a month's free trial of Audible's fantastic service and a free audiobook on us as well. And as we like to do here on Sequelizers, try and give you a relevant recommendation. And since we're talking about ancient aliens and all that, and you oh. know, aliens building pyramids and whatnot, let's talk about some chariots of the gods, shall we? <laughs> because aliens built the pyramids, everyone. If you want to dive down into ancient alien conspiracy theories and not watch that god-awful TV show from like five or six years ago. If you do, do not bring it up on our Discord or socials. We don't care. Yeah. I watched it. Also, it's garbage. Hella racist. <laughs> Mega racist. No credit given to brown people because aliens must have done it, I how guess. How could they possibly build civilization? How, how could the savages possibly build the things? Must be aliens. Anyway, uh, Eric Von Daniken basically says that in this book. And uh, yeah, you can go and it's about six hours long. So a decent like couple of days if you get stuck into it. And uh, yeah, it is a considered a pretty important book by a lot of people. A lot of nutters <laughs> <laughs> who love ancient aliens and stuff. And like I said, I got, I got, I went down an ancient alien rabbit hole as kind of like a, oh, this is fucking stupid. I got, I've got to explore the madness that is. I this. like the X Files. I've delved into weird shit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you can go and listen to Chariot of the Gods or anything else you like on Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com/sequel, you'll get a free audiobook, which you keep even if you don't continue the trial, or you can continue and like I have done for the last 11 years, it turns out. I checked the other day. Enjoy a book every month by getting a credit and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, enjoy your audiobooks. I highly recommend audiobooks. I listen to far more books than I read these days. <laughs> and of course, you can listen to us on there as well. You can listen to all your usual podcasts mm. on there as well as a full audio experience on Audible. So before we get into the mini pitches, gentlemen, you know, we like to have a little uh, Rotten Tomatoes. We do. But there's not really a game to be had, I suppose, as there's one movie. Mm-hmm. But I'm intrigued for no, nothing more than... No stakes. No stakes. What kind of ballpark do you think we're working with with the old uh, Stargate? From 48 reviews, Mid. it is classified as a sci-fi adventure. It is bang on two hours long. I'm thinking mid. I'm thinking people just didn't get it or loved it. Mid as fuck. Like 50... Two or some bollocks. Tim, any advancement on 52? That was pretty much where I was going to go. Yep. The, the, the number I had in my brain was 53, but I can't be that close. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's go a little bit lower than people going like, it's schlocky, non- impressive, but schlocky nonsense. Uh, let's say, oh, but it is good though. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. I'm going to be generous. Let's say 60. Oh. Matthew, you are spot on. Oh, shit. 52% from the Tomatometer from 48 reviews from the critic. The critical consensus is Stargate has splashy visuals and James Spader to recommend it, but corny (laughs) characterization and a clunky script make this a portal to ho-hum. The audience much kinder with 73% from the audience. That's fine. Yeah, sure, sure. And... uh, just to add a little bit of spice, the spice melange, if you will, the spice to these reviews. 
Let's go and uh, say hi to our old pal. Oh, Christ. The late Roger Ebert, who did, in fact, review it in October of 1994. Mm. So we have an at-time review I'm, I'm going to take Stargate. a big fucking guess here. Considering they parodied him in Go- um, Godzilla as the mayor, Mayor Ebert, I'm imagining he did not care for it. Really? <laughs> How did you guess, Matthew? Let's go for a little quote from old Roger here, shall we? Yeah, go for it. Stargate is the kind of movie where a soldier can be transported to quote-unquote the other side of the known universe in a whirlpool of bizarre special effects, step into a temple on on an alien planet, and then exclaim, Wow, what a rush! He's not wrong. That is what happens happens in the movie. It's also the kind of movie where the sun god Ra, who has harnessed the ability to traverse the universe at the speed of light, still needs slaves to build his pyramids for him for some reason. And where the local equivalent (laughs) of of a Nubian princess... Thanks, Roger is sent into the chamber of the Earth visitors to pleasure them. Don't tell me there aren't any... Don't tell me there aren't any coincidences. What? I don't understand that sentence, Roger, but this is the bit I particularly wanted to highlight. The movie Edward, about the worst director of all time, was made to prepare us all for Stargate. No. That's that's brutal. (laughs) That's... That's very cruel. Moonfall, yes. Fair enough. I absolutely agree with you on that kind of thing. Reeve Moonfall, like, yeah, fair play. But again, that's why, like, you know, again, Godzilla's got this ridiculous mayor who's useless, and it's it's Mayor Ebert, and, and his his assistant is is Siskel. And uh, it's like, oh, maybe we'd agree to lay off the sweets until after the election. Back off, Gene. Um, just because, you know, parody, openly parodying and lambasting those two. Um... But you'd have to do something really flagrant to put that into a film. Like, why would you, you know... It's like, oh, oh, there it is. Yeah. The movie is... This is the final wrap-up sentence. Oh, sorry. I've skipped the middle. Because he waffles. Yeah, of course. The movie is so lacking in any sense of wonder that it hurtles us from one end of the universe to the other, only to end in a gunfight between good guys and bad guys while the colonel's bomb ticks down. Like all movie bombs, it comes equipped with a bright red digital readout device that displays the countdown while beeping. Stargate is pretty much just a film school exercise. The assignment? Conceive of the weirdest plot you can think of, reduce it as quickly as possible to action movie cliches. If possible, include the sun god Ra and make sure something gets blown up real good along the way. One star from Mr. Roger Ebert in October of 1994. I mean, Ebert liked Cars 2. Fuck off. And the adventures of Rockin' Bullwinkle. Fuck bigger off. And Home Alone 3. He he is... Questionable. Everyone gets as, as, everyone has off days, but that ain't eh. as one of the most prominent film critics of the twentieth century and the twenty first century mm-hmm. when he was still doing it. It's got some real shit takes as old Ebert, hasn't he? He liked the happening. Fuck off. That's all you should know. That's that's, that's all, all you, you need, need to know. That's all you need to know. He likes the wind and old Marky Mark Wahlberg. He finds Stargate. Lacking in wonder, but the happening. Ooh. <laughs> Precisely Ooh. the right amount of wonder for me. <laughs> Ooh, the trees, the yeah. grass, the wind. I Mark wonder Wahlberg, you what say. the fuck is going on in this film. Um, so over to you, Matthew. Okay. Let's, let's dive into some mini pitches. Get some new cast, some returning cast, mm. returning directors, new directors, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like a pitch we do in the main season, but it's going to be a bit quicker and you'll get one from each of us, essentially. Yes. So, yeah, what have you what are you coming up with for us, Mr. Stogden? I had a long think about it, this one. Um Long and hard. Always. Uh I thought 
this kind of has to be Emmerich and Devlin because as much as I love what they did with SG-1 and they took it so differently in such a different direction, I kind of feel, that, again, that scope, spectacle, scale, all that sort of stuff. I want to see them take this to the next level. Um, I was thinking when I'd release this, when do I put this out there? I had a real, like, fiddling about with timelines. Yeah. And like, okay, if I do that, nice out. Okay, do that and that. Mm. That and that. Okay, yeah. I set myself up basically to make a trilogy. I haven't done both films. I've done a second one that's like, mm, 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 mm. and I've done a thing that is very unlike me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to release it in 1998. <gasps> no Sac- Godzilla! Sacrificing Matthew am... Broderick on the <laughs> altar of progress. I very much am. I'm, I'm killing for that. 98 Godzilla. Good. That will then be taken on by another director in another direction. Who knows? Better or worse. Um, Del Toro. Oh, oh, that would be gorgeous. But no. Um, this film is called Stargate Intergalactic. Oh. Featuring a... Beastie Boys. Yeah, Beastie, Beastie Boys, Boys soundtrack. soundtrack. Yeah. Returning cast. They'll, they'll be apparent as we go through. New cast. General Mitchum. Quick question. Go ahead, sorry. Uh, SG-1 starts in 97. No, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, it does. No, no. It doesn't anymore. Okay. Uh, just there to, is no. You said like same cast. I was like, hold on, which one? <laughs> no, 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 yeah. Which, Actually, let me clarify. Amanda Tapping. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, this there... is Anderson and Shanks <laughs> on the big screen, baby. No, there's no, there's no uh, TV series because there's a film straight into production after Independence Day. Why would we need a TV series? Um, there's no Atlantis. There's no whatever. Mm. Ain't happening. And I'm robbing myself I, of the thing I really like, but fuck it. I believe that they did. Like they almost made the TV series by accident. Like they did, the rights got sold without I think Emmerich and Devlin being aware that it had happened or something like that. It, it was a bit of a weird one, yeah. It was it was a bit of a fuck up, and they were like, "Oh, I guess a TV show is being made then." Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, and they're already working on some of the other projects. It's like, ah, we're distracted. Yeah, yeah. In this universe. Independence Day comes out. It's fucking huge. And they say, right, now we've proven that thing. Can we now make this yeah. thing, please? Russell. Can we go Spader. back to our Egyptian baby? Yeah, absolutely. Here's some more money. Let's do this next big thing. And they're like, oh, you know what? Fair enough. Let's, let's go. I've got, I've got time for I do secretary. It's okay. General Mitchum. Kevin Dunn. Oh, okay. Who plays the general in Godzilla. Yep. <laughs> Bring up the car with his Boston accent. I'm bringing them. Um, also, also, for people who don't have blocked Godzilla from their mind, wisely. that's Shia LaBeouf's dad in the Transformers films. I love that yes. you think they've blocked that, but not the Transformers films. <laughs> What's worse? The, the Transformers films are harder to block. The Transformers True. films get worse. Yeah. The, first, the first Transformers film is... I, ca- I can remember so little... 1998 Godzilla. Oh, same. Uh, I mainly remember... Eggs and Jamiroquai. I, yeah, <laughs> I remember the awesome Jamiroquai yeah. music video. The and the best thing about that I remember it involved French nuclear testing because that was in the news at the time. Yes. That, that, that's that's do, all you need to know. Do, it's correct. And it had a, uh, a, a P. Diddy back when he was still called Puff Daddy. Oh, yeah. Him and Sampling, Jimmy Page. Sampling Cashmere. Yeah. 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 
<laughs> what a fucking weird song. Awful. Anyway. Oh, I, I love Cashmere. Yeah. But I really mean the, the, um, yes. the, the new version. Don't, like, don't come, need, come with me. Don't, yeah, don't come need, with come, me. Come with me. And Godzilla. Um, <laughs> come with me and Godzilla. And my friend, <laughs> Godzilla. She's pregnant. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. Kevin Dunn. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. We just got to your first cast member. Yeah. And then spent 10 minutes talking about Godzilla. Yes. So, um, I've cast some younger actors who are literally just starting out, but they're like, oh, that's a huge name now. Yeah, now they are. But back then they were just younger actors. In the role of Apophis. Oh, there we go. Uh, Diego Luna. Oh, ah, Cassian Andor himself. Yeah. He was almost, almost in my movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Slip of a boy that he was at the time. He was indeed. Mm. Barely. Not, barely. Not, e- not even had a Havana night. No. no. Not, not for like Love three, it. four more years. Yeah. yeah. Anubis. Jason Momoa. Oh, Stargate Ooh. Atlantis' is very he, own. I mean, is he He's even Baywatch acting at, this point. at that point? Yeah. Oh, ba- wow. He Baywatch. has no beard. He has short hair. Oh, oh. oh. He's like a teenager, but yeah. basically, yeah. Um, you know that gif of him like throwing out the chair and stuff? Mm. Kind of looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, so yeah. And probably the most important bit of casting here. In the role of Teal'c. I beg your pardon, Matthew? You, you heard. What? Christopher Judge. Hey! <laughs> also <laughs> known for playing Teal'c. <laughs> yeah, so and being character in Stargate. Yeah. And the voice of Kratos. <laughs> the audience is bisected. I'm like, uh, who? I'm like... Listen, indeed, mm. motherfucker. The, the um, best Stargate character. Indeed. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of makes yeah. sense because um, apparently when he found out that they were making a Stargate TV series, he was like, he found out because like his flatmate or something or a friend at the time was like reading the script for it. Correct. Yeah. Um, and he was, he like phoned his agent and was like, get me onto this show or I'm firing you. Yes. Yeah. It's, and he, it's and he did big it. old nerd. Yeah. He's a yeah. Big old nerd. And a big, like, he's like 6'5", as well. He's Absolutely. A so, <laughs> so I've got, that, that's, that's just the cast, basically. That's the new cast. Love me some Very Chris simple. Judge. People we know now, but back then it'd be just more unusual unknowns. Like, all right, cool, whatever. He literally just won a, a game award for best performance as Kratos. Yeah. So, yeah, he's incredible. He doesn't say boy in this, I don't think. Ah, oh, damn it. That's the, before, what's does he say point? indeed? He will say indeed. Yeah, of course he says <laughs> He'll indeed. He'll raise his eyebrow before the, the, around the same time Rock was indeed. doing it. Indeed. He's an incredible voice. Here's the mini pitch. I'm going to whip through it as fast as I can, but Please not too do. fast in a Matthew way, just in a normal I'll way. Just slow down the recording in the edit. Right, here we go. All right, Bagpus. The Stargate has been decommissioned and locked in storage. It powers up, and an invading force of warriors pour out. Sure. They attack before taking hostages and fa- uh, falling back through the Stargate. Colonel O'Neill is brought in and questioned by General Mitchum and a board of generals. It is revealed that he and the surviving members of his team lied about destroying the gate and that it is simply inactive on <gasps> Abydos. Because we're going to name it as it was in the script. I may or may not do the same thing in my picture nice. as well. O'Neill is then ordered to return to the planet to find out what happened and ascertain if Dr. Daniel Jackson is still alive. Okay, bit of a let's, let's go. What the? I thought we were done with this. No, turns out there's more, which is a good way to... O'Neill and his team go through the gate and reunite with Jackson, Shari, and Skara. 
There is confusion because their gate has also been inactive since the defeat of Ra years prior. Jackson and a military scientist hypothesized that the coordinates between Earth and the remote planet were like one in a whole phone book of options. Jackson agrees to return to Earth to help them run diagnostics and locate the missing soldiers. We follow the hostages as they are being interrogated by Apophis, the snake god and mortal enemy of Ra. Having learned that the humans are not only still alive but technologically thriving, he mounts an offensive to reclaim the homeworld of his slave army. In doing so, he will regain power as the dominant deity. So we get this hint of like, there are more gods, there's more presence of these things, it's not just this one alien thing. It's like, well, of course there'd be a whole litany of them because that's what the mythology tells us, basically. Jackson returns to Earth with Scar and Shari. Um, they use their computers to figure out the location of the raiders dialed in from and reverse the call, as it were. And it's very classic 90s fucking science fiction. I, I, I gave it a call. It's like, no, you can't. Mm, this is an era when a Mac can't go with a PC. It can't fucking link to an, an alien craft, you yeah. penis. Mm. You like know a what? balloon and something bad happens. That, that's exactly it. The team then mount a new expedition and infiltrate Apophis' pyramid base. While storming the building, the team finds a de uh, detention center. Only one of the hostages is still alive, but near death. In the cell opposite, a disgraced guard is locked up. As in a disgraced uh, guard uh, of Apophis' army. Uh, Jackson speaks with the detainee and forms a tenuous alliance. We learn that the guard... Teal. Oh had fallen out of Apophis's favour once he learned of the supposed god's fallibility. So rather than in the series where he's like, he's head honcho number one, Supreme Jafar, it's like, no, 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 no. This is a guy who's like, hang on, you're, you're not a fucking god. And it's like, mm. right, imprison him now. Mm. Box this. The unit power up the Stargate to escape, but the ship takes off. As such, half the team escape, while some are killed in the intergalactic strip stream. So we talk about the wormhole opening up, and there's like, and it goes, and of course, they're like just lost in the ether, and all this oh, horrible bit, bit of bit of body horror stuff. Forever roller coastering through space. Mm. Yep, Quirk. to the sounds of the red hot chili peppers. <laughs> <laughs> roller coaster. In space. One thing we didn't touch on: roller mm. Stargate score. Oh, oh David sorry. Arnold's, Arnold's fucking back. score. Him, him incredible. The score, the best films uh, that that uh, Emmerich has done, i.e., Stargate, Independence Day, and and. Godzilla. Um, <laughs> but basically, the scores for all of them are really fucking good. Yeah. Mm. Really good. Yeah. Anyway. I'd forgotten how good it was, and then I found myself humming it the other day, and I was mm. like, that's so good. It's brilliant. <laughs> it, and it gets reused by a bunch of other films yes. and TV and stuff yeah, like very that, because so. it's yep. so, so good. Yeah. I remember the Stargate theme being used to advertise Beowulf. Yes. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's Stargate. Leave Stargate alone, you monsters. Not with your own music. You yeah. fucky monsters. I mean, it's because this thing was complaining when the score did come out. It was such a very good score. Anyway, O'Neill, Jackson, and the rest of the team agree they need to stop Apophis, but without sizable munitions or an escape route home, they don't know how. Teal'c says the gods are constantly at war and they could raise a rival god, Anubis. Oh. O'Neill makes a Cold War comparison for the audience. Um, <laughs> and goes, oh, I get it. They sabotage one of the ship's main engines and send the signal. In doing so, the group are located and are involved in a firefight. From the shadows, a royal guard notes that Skara is dressed differently to the rest of the team and quietly kidnaps him through a hidden passage. Skara is brought to Apophis and chosen to be the host for his son. Uh, O'Neill initially turns on Teal'c, but Jackson talks him down. 
Tilk uh, doesn't know why Skara would have been taken alive unless he was uh, to be made a host for the gods. The team go through the corridors of the ship, trying to stay out of sight. They find themselves in a hangar of gliders and note this may be their only way out. Tilk also highlights Royal Guard flight suits and says it will help them move about the ship, which is basically the huge Anubis yep. head yep. stuff and it'd be different guards and things. Yep. In that moment, Anubis' ship arrives. Apophis sends out a hostile communication and Anubis opens fire, so they have a bit of a pissing match. In the panic, O'Neill and the others sneak onto the, uh, into the throne room. Uh, O'Neill tries to save Scara, but his eyes glow and he uses his bracelet to blast O'Neill across mm. the room, so he's already been turned. Teal'c explains the young man is lost, but O'Neill refuses to accept that. Despite that, the ship starts to take extreme damage. Uh, the group fight their way to the hangar and uh, pilot the gliders over to Anubis's ship. Teal'c accesses the system on that side and says there is a planet with a working Stargate in close proximity. The gliders should make it. O'Neill orders Jackson to get the others home. He has to ensure that neither one of the entities makes their way to Earth. The only way he can see that working is to destroy them both, because that's that's just Kurt Russell's Daniel Jackson. Uh, sorry, uh, Kurt Russell's O'Neill's way of fixing everything. Yeah, I'm gonna die, and we're gonna. It's, it's a one-way ticket. Blow this thing out of the <sighs> goddamn sky. That's all I got. Yeah. Jackson asks if this is the old, old O'Neill talking, but he says he's just trying to keep people safe. So it's like it's not just a, he's a suicidal guy. He's like, no, no, no. Yeah, I'm doing the right thing here. I'm doing my fucking job. Uh, Jackson reluctantly agrees and helps O'Neill storm Anubis's throne room. They fight and kill Anubis. Spammer. Uh, Tilk is heavily wounded in the fight. Uh, Jackson takes the rest of the team and they fly away. O'Neill opens communications with Apophis and Skara, realizing that what is about to happen, Apophis scrambles all of his fighters. O'Neill accelerates hard, apologizing to Skara, and crashes the giant pyramid ship into the other. Physics don't make sense. Dumb math. Big spectacle smash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. O'Neill, um, this causes an almighty explosion. Because of course it is. Yep. Jackson and the others have a slight head start as the multiple gliders rain down on them, firing wildly. The explosion consumes the other craft as the gliders make their way to a swampy planet. Kind of a bit like the end of um, Independence Day, where it's like, oh, we're not going to make it, and there's things behind you mm. being consumed by a big fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Back on Earth, the Stargate powers up, and the remainder of the team come through, albeit dressed as royal guards, causing them to nearly be fired upon, because you know, they're in disguise still. Jackson debriefs Mitchum and the Board of Generals and explains O'Neill kept them safe. It's agreed that the program must be scrapped again, but Jackson and Teal'c disagree, saying the alien threat is massive and if Earth is going to stand a chance, they need to defend themselves. In other words, the future of humanity is no longer bound to one planet and they need to go public about it. Over the end credits, we see a press conference revealing the events of the, to the world and a promise that only a joint global effort will protect the world. Again, the classic, you know, America's come up with a plan. Well, let's bloody well hear it then. Oh, great. That's just how it was in the 90s. In a mid-credit sequence, we see the message between O'Neill, um, Apophis, and Skara being monitored by Hathor. Oh. Played by Charlize Theron. Mm. In oh. her own throne room. Oh. There we go. That's my pitch. Very interesting. Mm. I've taken a lot of SG-1. I was going to say, there's plenty of elements of Absolutely. SG-1 in there. Yeah. And thought, well, how can we make this a bit on the scale of the films, but not ridiculous, like, you know, contemporary 2000s, 2010s films, and go, yeah, this is a bigger film. Yeah. We've gotten Kurt Russell and Spader kind of out of it. We'll be forming a new thing. Christopher Judge will be in charge of that unit, blah, 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 blah. Got this new threat. Charlie Theron is, again, still quite new at this point. She's still kind of a model, really, at this mm. stage. So, um, yeah, enough exciting, interesting developments, in my opinion. 
Yeah, Apophis is a pretty significant bad guy for SG-1. He's in it for the first few seasons as yeah. the bad guy. He, is, he yeah. like takes Ra's place basically as the the supreme lord system lord that was it that's it yeah, yeah. the system lords as they say in there a, a lot of what i've described is kind of well the start at least is uh, is the first couple of episodes of SG-1. SG-1. yeah 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 cool very interesting there you go that's me nice i'll take over next i will title mine stargate legacy of the ancients mm. i like that i will release it in the year of our Lord, 1996. Mm. Oh, shit. No Roland Emmerich. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I'm curious. You get, you get I you nearly go. stuck with Emmerich and I thought, fuck it. It's a mini pitch. It's the interseason. Let's go nuts. I, mean, so. I nearly went too nuts. Oh, shit. Mel Gibson? <laughs> not quite, but not far off. No, not Mel Gibson. Definitely not Mel Gibson. My actual choice is uh, Alex Proyas. Oh, that makes complete sense. This is between The Crow in 94 and Dark City in 98. Mm. Back when he could make good movies. Correct. Before it, he makes Gods of Egypt. Yeah. It's, Correct. It's the same motherfucking, like, and again, he's got, like, iRobot in him, so he's building yeah. to... He yeah. can do some good stuff. And he's oh, another like, oh, one of these boys. You know who else I nearly picked? Basically for the lols. Uh, the old Willy Slinger himself. Oh, Paul W. Sanderson. PWSA. Interesting. Because it's a like event horizon event sort horizon. of time, like that totally makes sense, but but no. Okay. We're going with Prius. New cast will be revealed in the pitch. Ooh. Ooh. Tantalizing. Um, indeed. A couple of years after the events of the first film, 94, 96, makes sense. Mm-hmm. Stargate Command attempts an upgrade to stabilize the Stargate. So they have established this kind of kind of program around it again a working network indeed it's been functioning on and off as it still requires a lot of energy to power it and can only be maintained for short periods of time we learn that jackson has been in occasional contact with sgc but since their initial trip a few years ago no one has been able to travel back and forth suddenly the rings start spinning wildly surging with electricity for briefly settling when eight chevrons a line on the Stargate. What? Which is a thing that comes up in like season nine or something. Yes. That's one more than it should be, Jack. Yeah, I know. Too many chevrons. How is it possible? After a moment of silence, the gate explodes into activity. This time with the swirling purple liquid rather than the blue shining water we're used to in a Stargate. Mm-hmm. Before the purple maelstrom dissipates, the computers record a power surge somewhere else on Earth. O'Neill and his team are sent to investigate. On Abydos, and I wrote, now name that officially just like SG-1, but Matt's already explained that, so we're fine. Kasuf has been left in charge of running things, and with the help of Daniel, Shuri, and Skara, the Abydonians are kind of rebuilding the place and trying to reconstruct and recover our society. Yeah. They are visited by Apophis. Oh, hello. (laughs) Who claims to be Ra's brother. He is played by, this was almost my casting for Diego Luna as well, Holy which is shit. mad, uh, a young Benicio Del Toro. Mm. Amazing. So this is after usual suspects, but in that kind of area. Yeah. I hope he's doing exactly the same voice. It's mad, but he's do- definitely doing a <laughs> mad bullshit voice for no reason. That's what I fucking guys <laughs> Love it, Benicio. Nailed it. Apophis apologizes for his brother's misdeeds saying that he doesn't re- represent their race as a whole oh. and identifies them as the Goa'uld. Oh! Hello, SG-1 fans. 
He brings them new technology and helps them rebuild and develop. Jackson and Shari are sceptical at first, but Apophis is incredibly charming and seems entirely altruistic and apologetic. O'Neill's team, meanwhile, arrive near Mexico City, the site of the energy surge. They meet a group of local scientists who have previously, unknown to the team in America, found another stargate on Earth. Mm. This one also has the eight chevrons aligned, and is intermittently swirling with the similar purple energy we saw back at SGC. O'Neill's team cautiously investigate, and in a surge, get sucked in. Back on Abydos, the culture is flourishing with Apophis' assistance. However, Scar sneaks around and discovers some new technology, suggesting he's up to something. A interstellar communicator. Mm. He steals part of this communicator in a bits of consoles and computer bits, basically, to take to Dr. Jackson, but is chased away by an Apophis loyalist, and accidentally flees through the intermittent Stargate. O'Neill emerges in a dark, futuristic landscape. It's all Dark City Blade Runner. Hello, Alex Proyas. Of course. The major cultural touchpoint the humans notice is now Mayan instead of Egyptian. Oh, very interesting. They're greeted by a man who says he's been expecting them for some time and introduces himself as Kinich Ahau, played by Edward James Olmos. Oh, very interesting. Kinich explains that now that humans have learned to use the Stargate technology, the time has come for his people to ask for their help. They are awaiting the arrival of Kukul Khan before they can proceed to the next step. Nice. I, I don't know why, but I was like, I was waiting to say, is he going to say Kotal Khan? <laughs> and somehow preempt a Mortal Kombat <laughs> crossover? But no. No. Skara, fleeing through the other Stargate, ends up on Earth in SGC with a piece of Apophis' advanced technology. He tries to explain his situation and is eventually able to convince some of the scientists because they start to recognise the language from the equipment as Mayan. Ooh. O'Neill's team are granted some new armour and weapons and undergo training and combat trials. Kenichahau explains that his people are called Omeyokon and are here to uplift O'Neill and his people. O'Neill describes the actions of Ra in the first film, and Kenichahau kind of seems disappointed. Seemingly aware that Ra was an alien, but disappointed in his actions at least. We are introduced to Yum Kimil, Kenichi's superior, played by Ricardo Montalban. You need some gravitas, you need some Latin acting, you get Ricardo Montalban. Who accepts the humans and their military prowess and tells them they are nearly ready for the real test to come. O'Neill begins to get frustrated with their overall lack of direction and increased vagaries from the Yomiyakon. Jackson and Shiori notice that Skara has gone missing and begin to ask questions of Apophis. Eventually, the alien's facade slips as Daniel recognises some of the instructions on Apophis' equipment as ancient Mayan. He's a linguist, etc, etc. Apophis, with his back against the wall, reveals he's been recruiting the Abedonians using the Goa'uld, snake-like parasites that take over sentient beings and control them. Jack, that's SG-1 stuff, by the way. That's that's what they eventually become, and it's, oh, they've been snake parasites the yes, whole time. Yes. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Ignore the fact that he was an alien in the first movie. Yeah. Now Fine. open up your tummy. <laughs> yeah. Little pouch. Jackson makes the connection with Ra, flashback to the possession, realising it's all connected, and Apophis reveals himself as 
Kukul Khan, the creator of the Gwauld. Mm. Oh, interesting. They're snakes. Kukul Khan is a snake god. Yes, exactly. Created snake, in his yeah. image. Jackson and some of the Ambedonians rebel against Kukul Khan, and he uses a device to activate the Stargate at will with a purple swirl once again. The Omiya Khan Stargate activates, and Kukul Khan comes running out, followed by Jackson and a bunch of the Ambedonians. Jackson declares Kukul Khan's betrayal, and a battle breaks out between O'Neill, the Abedonians, and the Omeyokon guards. Can't pronounce that word. <laughs> Omeyokon. Omeyokan? Omeyokan, I think it is. Omeyokan. Yeah. Yum Camille, the mastermind of the Omeyokan plan to recruit the humans, tries to calm everyone down. He explains, with a booming voice, kind of in the raw way, that they must work together to fight for a higher purpose. A greater threat is coming, and he's cut off as a stray shot strikes him down. We see all three Stargates pulse in sync with each other, and now a red liquid and energy pulses with them, mm-hmm. causing everyone to stop fighting and pay attention. Yum Camille whispers his final words, They're coming! As a ninth chevron clicks into place, <gasps> and we cut to black. Oh! That was the plan for the trilogy. They would do the eighth and then the ninth chevrons oh, wow. for different really? galaxies. I did not know that. And Love uh, that shit, though. the producer said, where else are there uh, pyramids on Earth? That was the plan. That's all he said, basically, was <laughs> chevrons and Egyptian uh, <laughs> pyramids. And mm. yeah, there you go. So ziggurats. I assume, do we know who the red one was? Is it China? Who knows? Oh. It's the Louvre. <laughs> Oh. It's the one in Vegas. <laughs> it's the it's the Pro Bass Pyramid in Kentucky or wherever. Yeah. It is in I'm, I'm trying to think about like where the sort of Ziggurati pyramid structures. And... I think there's some in like uh, Cambodia type. Area? Yeah. Yes. Kind it's of... South Southeast Asia. Was, yeah. Was the third plan. So. Yeah. Well, that seems really fucking cool. Mm. Oh. So there you go. I, I'm all about take, fucking... taking little bits from SG One and then yeah. the plan for the trilogy. Yeah. Smushed yeah, 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 yeah. them all together. Done a bit different and. I mean, yeah. I like the fact that like, uh, Kichina Ahau is, is, is the sun god and stuff like that. So there's like, nice little yeah, parallels and God things. of war, god of death, and uh, god of the sun. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I like it. Nice. There you go. Original, but mashed together. It's me doing an interseason thing. Mm. Tim. Mine's very fucking different. Excellent. Mm. I love that we've all got three different things here. This, is, this mm. is what I love about these sequels we'd like yeah. to see. We all go in mm. completely different directions and by the way, patrons, if you're, you know, not... If you're still here. If you're still here. <laughs> listening. No, if you're finding hard to, you know, follow along and stuff, because these are whipping through mini pitches and all that kind of stuff, they are available in full on the Patreon post. So we, we also do we an do image the... for the whole thing with, like, images of what the actors would look like at the time. So you, go, exactly. yeah. oh. so you can see who they're cast mm. as and that kind of stuff. Like we do with the full pitches for the main season, yeah, yeah. we'll basically have these mini pitches in there. So you can read along and be mm. like, oh, when Jack says this, he means mm. that, and all that kind of stuff. Mine is a lot more bullet-pointy than the other two, uh, and kind of falls apart towards the end. But by the time that That's the pictures get shared, there will be full notes. <laughs> I have moved house, changed job, and been ill, so... Tim has done a lot. He's been, he's, <laughs> he's been juggling, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm a little bit off my game. Uh, but anyway, all, all. my film is called Stargate. War in Heaven. Oh, brilliant. Cool name. And it comes out in the year 2024. Fuck oh, off, Tim. Oh, here we go. He's here doing we it. go. He's doing the thing. 
30 year anniversary. I <laughs> love it. And I love that Tim goes, and that's all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, rest is up to your imagination. Very, very cool. Very cool. Okay. Uh, directors. Oh, hey, we heard it. We heard the plural. Hello. I have uh, a pair who work together. Oh. Adil and Belil. Oh, very good. Who uh, directed Bad Boys for Life. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, would have been the directors of Batgirl, slash were oh, the directors yes. of Batgirl, except it never they got were. released. They did. They yeah. did. Uh, also oh. directed a couple of different episodes of Ms. Marvel and mm. were yes. executive producers was, on it as well. Yeah, great episodes of Ms. Marvel, yeah. Returning cast. appreciate you getting in uh, Middle Eastern Heritage people to do this thing. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, we did. Sense. We just got white people. Sure. You will, you will notice there are several people of Middle Eastern descent in my cast. I, I went et for Latin descent. Yeah. yeah that's my excuse. Mm. I, I just did a 90s thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, returning cast, Colonel Jack O'Neill, Kurt Russell. Ah. Continue mm. the Russell-lessance that's been happening of the past few years. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. That, that took me a sec. What yeah. colour is his hair, though? <laughs> is it just beautiful and white, or is it yeah, like yeah. somehow He's ambery weird? Grizzled and etc. Cool, cool. Uh, I'm also bringing back Alexis Cruz as Scara. Yeah. Yep, cool. And and I can't believe you guys forgot to include him in your pictures. As Major Ferretti. Oh, French Stewart. Oh, this was French Stewart's like first. The first Stargate was his third first, rock from the sun, motherfucking French role. Stewart. Yeah. yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New cast. Fucking French Stewart. Uh, as Captain William Coopworth. Great name. Scott Eastwood. Oh, no. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. You shit. know what, Tim? You've lost me. <clears throat> nah, I think Scott Eastwood <laughs> has a time and a place, and this is it. Mm. I am. I am actually going to do. I am essentially doing a. Uh, Spoilers for my own pitch. <laughs> kind of a um, Steven Seagal in executive decision. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Where he will be, he'll be like, "Look, here's here's this uh, here's your heroic white guy who's an army man, and we're actually going to kill him off like halfway through the film." Nice. Good. Uh, as Karam, uh, we have Mina Masood, who was Aladdin in the live action. Oh, cool. Good, because uh, that guy's been fucked by the industry. Yes, he has, yeah. He's uh, also was in the Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan TV show. He's good A couple of that. other TV stuff. I've, I've mm. been watching Jack Ryan recently. It's good. Mm. Uh, as Hisham, I have uh, Rami Youssef. Nice. Mm. Uh, who has a self-titled TV show, Rami. Yep. He's a stand-up comedian, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, as General Crooks. Good name. Tim Robbins. Oh, always dangerous to put Tim Robbins in anything because he's brilliant. <laughs> but he was also in Howard the Duck and Green Lantern. Ooh. <laughs> and in some of the best films ever. Yeah. Yeah. And the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. But yeah. also, Tenacious D, The Pick of Destiny. <laughs> One of the, like I said, <laughs> Shawshank Redemption and Pick of Destiny. Yeah. Two of the best films ever made. Yeah. Sorry, do Also, care Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> Gets an air conditioner dropped on him in High Fidelity. There you go. Yep, yep. The uh, third best film ever made. Yeah. After Shawshank Redemption, Tenacious <laughs> D, High Fidelity. Patchouli smelling motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Jack Black trilogy. Um, Carry on, sorry. As uh, Lieutenant Rena Finch, I have uh, Simone Ashley, who has been in two Netflix shows, uh, Sex Education, uh, and she's in the second season of Bridgerton. Uh, she's like one of the. Sex Education. She's like one of the. 
popular girls. Ah, okay. <laughs> I will look her up because I yeah, no she's like well. the main character in season two of Bridgerton, I believe. Nice. Or one of the main characters, like the main one of the main couples. I can picture her, but I don't think I've seen her in a great deal. Yeah, I don't mean. Um, as Amala, I have uh Razan Jamal. Oh, cool. Uh, who's an Egyptian actress? Uh, she's in. Uh, she was in the Sandman. Uh, TV show Netflix yes. as uh, uh, Lighter Hall, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was in a popular Egyptian series called Paranormal recently. Uh, and as Set, I have uh, Khaled Nabawe, who is another uh, well-known Egyptian actor. He was in Kingdom of Heaven. I was about to say Kingdom of Heaven. Uh, he was in Represent. Fair Game, the um, Naomi Watts film. Uh, and in the uh, similarly named Kingdoms of Fire, uh, which is another popular Egyptian show at the moment. Cool. So, my film opens with... Uh, it is 2024. Um, my God. <laughs> and uh, the, the existence of the Stargate has been kept completely secret. Oh. Cool, cool. However, that secrecy is completely shattered when a craft is spotted in Earth orbit. Oh, damn, you're going to work, Tim. Mm. And descends down, landing in Cairo, mm-hmm. where it opens up to reveal a Stargate, which then activates, Ooh. and space the, the glider craft like fly out of the Stargate, followed by troops Fucking hell. attacking and laying waste to areas of Cairo. Wow. Mm. Uh, Karam, who is a translator working with the US military, uh, and his cousin, uh, Hesham, who's like a, a, a phone salesman, um, uh, and a bunch of other people mm-hmm. are taken hostage and dragged back through the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the gate shuts down and uh, all, the, all the warriors go back, all the spacecraft go yeah. back. Um, gate shuts down and just some like automated defenses are around it. Just nabs a load oh, of so they've people. like deployed the gate. They've like de- they've like crashed a gate onto oh, Cairo, wow. cool. and then it activates and all the people come out. Basically. Cool. Oh, very cool. Very cool. In America, Colonel O'Neill yep. is tracked down. Oh, he's still a colonel thirty years later. I assume he's retired. Yes, he's he is retired. <laughs> yeah. but they track him. He down. He was already retired. Sort yeah, of, yeah. Um, it. <laughs> they track him down basically, and bring him back in to meet with the Stargate Command program mm. which the military has kept going yeah um he reunites with major ferretti who is God still working damn on french stuart man this is <laughs> the only bit only bit i'm like eh, but current yeah he, he has a very minor role that's fine i'm okay with yeah. that it's, it's legacy shit it's like yeah. oh look uh, general alive. general crooks is now the commander of the stargate program uh-huh. and we essentially find out that they have kept it secret and they have been kept it safe they've kept it safe um they have been continuing trying different combinations and found several other worlds. Mm. However, they've been dialing the chevrons. They've been dialing the chevrons. Um, That's what the kids call it these days. Yeah. Crank calling. Yeah. Um, all of those worlds that they've discovered are essentially dead worlds. They uh, are being like strip mined and... Locust harvested. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. And they've also it's been incredibly difficult for them to find the right combinations, even though they, you would think that they just try them all. It doesn't work that way, basically. There is a, so there's an actual in-universe explanation. It's the, the six ones are the like location where you're mm. dialing to in three-dimensional yeah. space. 
and then the seventh is where you're calling from. Yeah. Um, and then when you introduce eighth and ninth, that's outside of your galaxy because mm. despite the fact it says across the known universe mm. in the film, mm. in the TV show, it's all within the Milky Way, which makes sense because the Milky Way's fucking, fucking huge, absolutely. And then they expand outside of the Milky Way yeah. once you start dialing the different chevrons and stuff, yeah. which is kind of where yeah. I was yeah. going. Yeah, uh, my guys were from a place called the Pegasus Galaxy, which is in the... which is where is. Atlantis yeah. goes, isn't it? Yes, Correct. yes. Um. So yeah, so he he meets with General Crooks. O'Neill is pissed. Basically, he's like, "No, when I came back, I told you this was dangerous. Like, you wouldn't let me destroy it like I wanted to. Ooh. Um, and you've now you've been using it, and like you don't know, you know. And Crooks is basically like, "No, we know what we're doing. We're playing doing with this. something you don't understand. Yeah, we've been doing like, this for yeah, thirty yeah, years. Like, shut the hell up, basically. Yeah. On the alien uh, through the through the Stargate." Uh, we catch up with Karam and Hashem. Space roller coaster. Uh, they managed to escape initially from the all the people being taken kind of prisoner. Um, and we get some exploration on this alien world, which is very different. It's like a kind of more like a lush, jungly planet. Canada. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's Canada. Um, lots of fir trees. <laughs> um, and uh, there's lots there's lots more structures, uh, all Egyptian style. Um, Ooh but also very ancient and kind of ruined. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a it's more dense but also it's it's not dense with people. <laughs> it's like a, a, a metropolis in ruin basically. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um so they do a bit of exploring, freak out the fact that they they realize, you know, it's oh look two moons, what the fuck. Yeah, yeah. Um uh we get some hijinks and get to know them a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh then they attempt to free the other prisoners but are recaptured essentially. O'Neill and the rest of Stargate Command, which is, includes Scott Eastwood, um, travel to Cairo and attempt to activate the gate, uh, but they can't. Um, uh, and uh, I might kill off Scott Eastwood here. Maybe not. Maybe he dies he, later. Feel free. <laughs> um, no one will notice. And basically when they can't get it to work, O'Neill spots like a few clues around it and essentially says, we've got to go back to Abydos, which we will name. We're all taking Abydos. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why not? And so they go back to America. A lot of jetting around. Um, on the alien world, uh, Karam is interrogated by Set, ah. who is this very charming um, kind of uh, casual <laughs> uh, alien overlord. Set so from... It, it, Mythology is always interesting because it's like, you know, oh, Anubis is a jackal, mm. Horus is an, is, mm. is a falcon. Mm. What's Set? The Set monster. Yeah, it's you the, know the Set the creature, weird, the weird dog thing with a uh, forked tail. It's like, did you just make up an animal and decide to be? Like, yeah. yeah, and the thing is, like, it's like that's an ibis. I know what that is. What's this? Birds. Yeah, snake, crocodile. Mythical, <laughs> mythical. Well, that's the thing. Most people go like, but yeah. with horns. Yeah, and the thing is, like, is this a thing that just just died? Yeah, yeah. Is this actually a real thing? Is it? Like, yeah. maybe. Yeah, who knows? Um, Seth Beast. Uh, and he uh, set is very in- intrigued by like the way the Earth has developed and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, O'Neill, etc., return to Stargate Command, travel to Abydos. Um, they meet with Daniel and Shauri's daughter Amala. Um, nice. And reunite with Skara, um, who have become like leaders in the community kind of thing. Um, Amar- Amala takes uh, the team to see 
the uh, Daniel's research. Um, he has passed away. Sure. I it's I cold. I, yeah. I don't think we're getting Spader back nowadays. I mean, he's fucking Ultron, so maybe. You never know. He's not. He hasn't been Ultron for like a while. <laughs> he did it once. Yep. Um, busy busy right. doing season 45 of The Blacklist. Yeah. Also not a thing anymore. <laughs> um, He has been essentially continuing working on his side on the kind of what the Stargate does mm. and uncovering ancient traces of the alien race on Abydos, like the the, the few bits that he could find. Right. Essentially yeah. doing archaeology on that planet. Kind yeah, of thing. that makes sense. Um, Astroarchaeology. Astroarchaeology. That's a real thing. Awesome. Um, uh, back on the alien world, which is not Abydos. <laughs> Uh, Karam and Set continue to interact and Set reveals that the alien empire has fallen into disarray uh, he himself actually was used to be like a lower caste kind of servant person within it um, but his masters have all died in meaningless wars and slave rebellions and now he is searching for the others to return to his homeworld mm, interesting um, on Abydos, uh, Rena puts together the clues from Daniel's research, which give SG command, uh, Stargate Command the key they need to access additional worlds and track the origin point of the Cairo Gate. They return to Earth and put together a force to go through the Cairo Gate to kind of recover people. Um, this is probably where Scott Eastwood dies when they go through and Let's start say fighting. it is so. It's about time. Um, they uh, meet up with Karam and Set, uh, Karam and um, uh, Hashem, and the people who've been kidnapped, who essentially like Karam has started to, he was was initially like very tempted by this kind of like intergalactic traveler who is like offering, be like, oh yeah, no, it's uh, like, oh, I'm so sorry for what I, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, that we kind of we landed the gate and you know. Um, we didn't expect what we found on the other side. My my troops reacted poorly. I do apologize. You know, sounds but, you like know. colonialism to me. Yeah, Tim. yeah. Um, you know, come with come with me. You know, I can show you the stars. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, I'm incredibly charming. Don't worry about the genocide and things. Yeah, yeah. The Sinsberg thing. Because yeah. I'm got a good voice. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean. Um, eventually, you know, gets wise. Um, manages to stay stage another bit of a jailbreak. The two forces meet up, um, and Set at this point reveals essentially that uh, he's been lying uh, a significant degree. Like he was a lower caste member, uh, but the masters didn't die from like oh various in interwar factions and stuff like. He killed a bunch of them off. There and, it is. Um, and he is hunting for someone else, Osiris. Oh, who we reveal. King of the Gods is General Crooks. Oh, oh interesting. And in one of the early voyages through the Stargate, he got infected or whatever you want to call it, taken Possessed. over, mm. and has been continuing using the network to try and explore and reconnect with his uh, empire. Yeah, or yeah, a lot. I like that. Um, and then there's a big explosive finale. That no, I haven't no, written yeah, up yeah, yet, I get that. but I will do ready for the pitch documents. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's I mean that's the kind of the big twist of it is that yeah, uh, Tim Robbins has been an alien this whole time. I like that, and that makes complete sense. Yeah, because once you infiltrate, there are systems as such designed that cult of personality, uh, maybe a bit of a satirical mirroring mm. of of you know 
uh, a, de- a, a, a pantheon of deities or uh, powers and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And the idea that, well, we just did what he told us because of the chain of command. It's like, and yeah. you, you, you didn't question. It. It's like, we're not supposed to question. And that's the classic militaristic mindset. It's mm-hmm. like scientists and military, like, should we not be answers? Well, I was told to do it. So I was doing it. Yeah. And then you go like, and obviously we'll, we'll layer that in a little bit when we'll talk about him, you know, like I was, I was part of the second team that went out and found the first yeah, you know, exactly. alien world kind of stuff. And, you know, we, you know, we encountered, you know, dangerous local beasts, you know, but I made it back and, you know, my team didn't, but yeah. I was only survivor and I was yeah, getting yeah. A, like medals for it. And a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Lay in the groundwork, but oh, I like yeah, that. that is that. Is, and, and essentially, I don't know whether it would conclude in this film or if it would be more of a setup, but essentially aiming towards the idea of like humanity getting trapped between these two warring gods, um, you know, of Set being this very yeah. kind of capricious, chaotic figure, and Osiris being much more like regimented and ordered, yeah. and probably you know it might be that the you know we get to the end and he reveals like no, actually like. I have actually been rebuilding my empire, mm. you know, in subtle ways as mm. we go. And now I'm going to open up the gate and just a legion of people is going to start walking through. And no, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, now I've found set. Now I'm going to pacify Earth. And now I'm going yeah. to retake because now because now he's unlocked the full like gate network, whereas before our gate was kind of locked down yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that is, I like that. I think there's a really despite the disparate nature of all of our pitches, there are so many interesting unifying factors. There are some weird through lines. There, yeah. yeah, and I think that's mm-hmm. partly because um, the the legacy of what the film is and the stuff that's mm-hmm. come out from it is all quite similar, and the, and the breadcrumbing is there. And it's it's the nature of the thing of, if if you have that as the first film, and obviously SG-1 does answers a lot of these questions, you immediately go, it's like, well, Egypt has a pantheon of gods. There it is. So there must be other gods. Yep. And the Stargate dials to a thing. Presumably, you can dial to other things. There must be mm-hmm. other worlds out there. Yep. It, yeah. It's, it's not like, make it work. Now it's activated. It's like, we're going to do this combination. Like a phone? Mm-hmm. Yes. Phones don't go to one line. Yeah, yeah. They go to all of them. Yeah. yeah. Like, and then eventually, the internet. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I, and I think that's the thing. It's... The, the the building blocks are there to have a lot of fun with it. Mm. Um, but you still have the logic of like, and now we're going to do the roots of this, which is always going to be um, ancient mythology, ancient pantheons, and the classic um, sort of quiet, satirical, or however you want to pitch it in terms of like your story. What happens when we get out of our fucking element? Yes. What happens when we actually get involved in these giant... Because the whole point of Stargate is it wasn't um, there was an uprising on Earth and they buried the gate. Yeah. yeah. And the rest of the universe just carried on, it literally uh, fractured in time uh, and frozen in time, sorry, um, where nothing really evolved or changed. Mm. We on Earth were obviously through our freedom doing mm. all this stuff for, for thousands of years. And that's, that's really cool. But um, yeah, there's that element of, of we are hideously outnumbered and hideously mm. outgunned and we don't have the ability to to and, and all all three of our pictures is like we're involved in a huge war now mm-hmm. what the fuck yeah. what happens next um so it, yeah yeah I think it's, it's, it's that idea of like i mean it's the the thing that uh what is it 
Nick Fury says in Avengers of like it's Earth oh, has yeah. signaled it's ready for a higher form of war. It's like okay, yeah. Yeah. we now have this ability to go out into the galaxy, but we have no idea of the scope of what's waiting for us out there. Yeah, I mean it, le- it lends itself to. I mean, there's a reason that they got 15 plus seasons of yeah, television very much so. out of this concept. Yeah, there was definitely something I wanted to draw on when, like I said, they were like felt like they were training the humans and being like, oh yeah. You've got the Stargate stuff, right? Mm. That means you're ready for this big mm. battle that's coming. Right, guys? <laughs> you're, you're all ready for this, right? Like, we don't know what you're talking about. Like, oh, oh, fuck, you're basically children in the <laughs> thing. Right, okay. In the first Stargate film, Ra very, very condescending. He's like, ah, okay, so you finally learned how to split the atom. Yeah. Well done. I've recharged that bomb yeah. with so much more. It's going to blow up your whole fucking planet. Yeah. yeah. You are fucked. It's like, what? It's like saying, yeah, so you've invented or you've discovered um, fire. Very good. Um, I've loaded it with gunpowder. What's gunpowder? Ha 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 ha, dickhead. <laughs> fire. Imagine the fire is everywhere. It's like, what do you mean? I'm just going to chuck this at you. And it, it, yeah, so. Yeah. It's, it's like the, 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 the alien empire in this has almost like the opposite of the prime directive. Oh, entirely. Yeah, 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 <laughs> Interfere yeah. as much as possible. Interfere as much yeah. as possible. And, but also Introduce at the same time. A bunch of weird technology. Prevent, yeah. prevent them from developing. Yeah any technology mm. yeah well again it's that, that again the, the colonialist invasion mindset oh of, very much yep, i'm gonna stifle everything about your and, uh, community and, and your yeah and culture and, yeah destroy people's la- language you destroy their ability yep. to like pass on knowledge and absolutely maintain a culture and stuff like that it's yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. definitely well like i said if you're on patreon you can go and check out all of these little pitches in their full glory with links for all the actors and all that kind of stuff and as matt said We'll get period-appropriate photos of those actors. So you can be like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's in that thing. Oh, that's what he looked like. They won't be period-appropriate for mine, because mine's in the future. (laughs) Uh, 2024 is close enough, but they'll be filming around about now. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah, we'll be fine. Just just get on the snipe show right now. Yeah. Like I said, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. You can get that. We will also have all the bonus episodes and stuff I mentioned at the beginning of the show as well. If you want to follow us on any of the social medias. We are sequelizers on everything. If you want links to the Patreon, the Discord, anything else, social media, live streams, all that kind of stuff, go to sequelizers.com is the hub of information for all things sequelizers. If you want to follow me and say, hey Jack, what's the third film going to be? Which 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 pyramids? What What's going on? You can, you can contact <laughs> me if you like. Maybe I'll tell you, maybe I won't. Maybe it's just specifically to irritate one of the VIPs. Who knows? <laughs> you know who you are. You All of them go, me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can contact me on social media. I am JLW Chambers on pretty much everything, including Ivan Mastodon for some reason. Hey, Matt, how about you? How can people follow you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on the various social medias. You can also go to theredrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. You can go to cheeseman.com to see the things that I make. And as we're now officially in January, uh, the sumo season starts up again. So you can look for sumo drop pod on Twitter to follow my sumo wrestling podcast. Tim, if I needed to know how to get a hold of you real fucking quick and I wanted seven chevrons to do it, where would I go? You're an eight chevron man to me, Tim. (laughs) My my chevrons must be arranged in the pattern that spells out trivia underscore lad on Twitter dot com. Uh, I'm just imagining Spader being like trivia. 
There's an underscore in here as yeah. well. It's not quiz boy, it's trivia lad. <laughs> <laughs> Crosses out quiz yeah. boy and writes trivia. I think it's like a rotary phone. Jesus Christ. That's the best place to find me at the moment until Twitter eats its own tail and disappears up its own butthole. It's buried like a stargate. We, yeah, we all we all rebel against Elon Musk and, and uh, bury his corpse with God, it. God, yeah. he yeah. is the Ra of the world. He's not that with it. Neither's Ra. <laughs> he accomplishes some stuff. Does he? Musk though? is not. Yeah. But anyway, like I said, go to sequelizer.com. You get all the information. There's links for all of our social media in there as well. So if you didn't quite catch those, you can find it all at sequelizers.com. Stay tuned for the next couple of months actually which is a weird thing to say because yeah. we're in the interseason there's gonna be a bunch of cool stuff like i said there's gonna be picks from patrons there's gonna be some very interesting discussions we're there's we're, some really good topics we're yeah, some great stuff we're covering really suggested interesting... by patrons and and made up by us yeah mm-hmm. we cover some really interesting topics it allows us to kind of escape the bad sequels kind of thing that we do during the main seasons and talk about films from a variety of different perspectives we might be diving into some design, some actors, some behind-the-scenes stuff, some visual effects and all that kind of stuff. There'll be loads of different ways of looking at the movie industry throughout the years, throughout the interseason. So mm. hope you enjoy that. Like I said, there'll be bonus episodes to go along with it as well if you're on Patreon. And uh, yeah, in about two and a half months or so, time for season 12. But there's plenty of fun to be had until then as well. Yes. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us in the first and... We will see you next week. Give my regards to King Tut, asshole. Ah. <laughs> Racism.